What's up, you beautiful fucking assholes? It's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. You want to know why? Because it was supposed to be the end of the world, and I woke up, and I'm fine today. Uh, the election was yesterday, and social media told me that no matter who won, we were all doomed, and the country was going to fall apart, and flames, and fire, and blah, the flag, and blah. Everything's fine. People are still bitching and moaning. He cheated, he cheated, she cheated. Votes this, votes that. Earth's still spinning around the sun. Universe is still expanding, and I am still recording fucking kick-ass intros for my podcast. And speaking of kick-ass intros for my podcast, y'all know the shtick by this point. I was appointed by the gaming gods, Miyamoto the Father, Kojima the Son, and Carmack the Holy Ghost, who appeared to me in vision, commanding me to create and restore the one true gaming podcast. And part of that, they said, was I need to interview creative and interesting people about their favorite gaming memories growing up. On this episode of the podcast, we have the motherfucking GameCube was cool podcast. I think I have the corona. Or I just smoked too much weed. Man, who cares? Anyway, the GameCube Was Cool podcast is hosted by our good friends from Canada. Blame Canada. Blame Canada. And they say about. About. I love Every time they say about, I was like, had to hold my ball sack and my chode together tightly and not laugh. Because I didn't want to think that I was like discriminating against them. I think it sounds dope as shit. We also talk about Letterkenny. I don't know if any of you fuck faces have watched Letterkenny. Holy shit. My jujitsu coach and some of the other black belts at my jiu-jitsu gym told me to, to watch that show it's like eight nine seasons deep never heard of it it is the goddamn funniest show i think i've seen in the better part of a decade anyway i asked them if they lived their lives like the people in letter kenny and they said hey if you go up north people are like you can find letter kenny people there so um that was a highlight of the podcast for me finding out that letter kenny is motherfucking real but the second highlight and more importantly the most important highlight and the reason why we're spreading the good news of the gaming gospel we are focusing on the GameCube. Neil and Mike love the GameCube. The GameCube is badass for a lot of reasons. It is not brought up a lot by many of the guests that have been on the podcast so far. I sort of missed it. I saw it uh, from the outside as the periphery. And then much later when uh, emulation got really good, the Dolphin emulator specifically, I went back and played a lot of the GameCube classics. Not all of them. Um, and I think the GameCube is an awesome, awesome system. And Nintendo did a lot right. A point that they make, it's the last time Nintendo released any M-rated games published on their on their console. So it's kind of the la- like the last airbender for Nintendo consoles. That's the last one where they try to compete with the big boys and not and not go a separate route. These guys are awesome. They know everything about the GameCube. They have found out a bunch of cool shit about the GameCube. I'm not going to spoil it in the intro. You're going to have to listen to the podcast, get the whole sermon, get your daily dose of the gaming gospel, maintain your faith, and they will share some dope shit about the GameCube and GameCube games throughout the entirety of the podcast. You will find out shit you're not going to find on the internet because they have done their due diligence. They're going through every North American release on the GameCube and memorializing each and every game and also talking about the GameCube and uncovering cool tidbits about development, localization, all sorts of things that were going on in the business industry. They are finding out and a lot of their listeners are feeding them full of cool tidbits too. So if you want to just hyper-focus on the GameCube, not only are they the best podcast out there because they're the only one, they are legitimately good podcasts. I had a fantastic time talking to them. The conversation flowed super well. Surprise, surprise, Canadians are fucking nice. Who would have thought? Who would have thought it would be easy to have video game conversation with two Canadians that I had no idea who they were and within five minutes we were gelling. We were flowing. We were spitting fire. I was feeling like a P-I-M-P. Don't you worry about me. 
I'm a motherfucking PIMP. Yeah. We're like the GameCube motherfucking PIMPs. Actually, they are. I just kind of sat along for the ride. Anyway, check them out. The GameCube was cool. Podcast. I will put all the applicable links in the podcast description. You know the drill. Send them some dick pics. Let them know you enjoy <laughs> you enjoy their content. Or don't. Uh, that might be sexual harassment. And since everyone's spying on us, the NSA is definitely collecting your dick pics and are going to use them against you should you ever try to run for office. Uh, good thing is I'm never going to run for office and I don't really care if my dick pics get out because I openly admit my penis is pathetic. I'm like one step away from having a micro penis. Eh, I don't really give a shit. I don't know why I'm going off on tangents about my penis. I'm just happy the world hasn't ended. Uh, GameCube was cool podcast. That's what I was looking for. Check them out online, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, on all your favorite podcast platforms. The GameCube was cool podcast. Send them the dick pics, like, follow, support their podcast. They are legit. They are doing it for all the right reasons. I had a fantastic time and always spread the good news of the gaming memories gospel. Like, share, comment, tell people about the podcast and I promise you the gaming gods will rain down blessings from heaven in such great magnitude there shall not be enough room to receive them. For those of you who don't know that as a reference to the Bible, I believe Timothy? Uh, it's somewhere like at the end of the Old Testament. Mormons always use it to justify paying 10% in tithing. Uh... Yeah, if you if you if if you share the good news of the gaming memories gospel, I promise Jesus will pay your bills for you. A- Asterix, I'm not liable for any of these promises. You cannot sue me. I'm just a dumbass. Anyway, say these things in the name of Miyamoto the Father, Kojima the Son, and Carmack, the motherfucking Holy Ghost. Enjoy the show. Amen. What's up, dudes? I stalked you guys, like, not that long ago, like five days ago. I don't know how. It's like someone's recommended account. And I'm like, holy cow. This is a podcast. Like, there's so many video game podcasts. And a lot mm-hmm. of them are very... Um, it's not that I have an issue with it. That like Most of the main things have been covered, like news current games oh there's a lot of retro gaming podcasts that like they'll pick a game do the history development cool informations there's people who've written books like that's all been covered but i've never seen someone that's like hyper specific to just the console so when that popped up i was like okay i gotta talk to these guys for sure yeah no we've uh we've been passionate about the gamecube ever since the early 2000s when it came out that's how mike and i bonded when we when we first met we loved playing mario party and mario kart and all the multiplayer games 007 nightfire We'll get more into those games later, I'm sure. But it's always been a console that we've loved, even through high school. We were, as the new consoles came out, like Xbox 360, PlayStation, and now PS4, we're looking at the PS5. We thought it'd be a great time to talk about a console that's been dead for almost 15 years. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a fun thing to do. We noticed that the, it, there, when you notice that there's a missing slot, like you said, there are so many retro video game podcasts. There are so many news podcasts. We figured that we might as well just focus on this one console, try to memorialize every single game in the library in North America, at least, games that we can talk about and have our friends on to talk about. It's such a great opportunity, and we're loving the journey so far. We're 24 and a half episodes in, technically, and uh, so far the reception's been great. Um, Mike, did you want to talk a little bit more about the podcast, if I missed anything? Uh, Well, I just want to say that we kind of wanted to start off as a podcast that didn't just kind of circle jerk over everything in the industry, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of that, you know, and a lot of these news podcasts that are obviously trying to get some kind of sponsorship. And uh, often it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Ubisoft just put out these three amazing trailers. Let's talk about all of them and say how great they all are. Like that stuff really turns me off. 
And, you know, obviously we're doing the GameCube podcast because we love the GameCube, but like we are by no means just diehard Nintendo fans. We have a lot of problem with the way <laughs> Nintendo runs business often. And we address that. We, we, we try and never, you know, take just like a rose colored glasses view uh, on things. You know, we, we often like to point out how a lot of these games, you know, maybe when they came out, like a GoldenEye, for example, is regarded as such this amazing first person shooter. Um, but at the end of the day, it's actually really tough to go back and play in 2020. So uh, we, we like to kind of balance the good with the bad. And, um, and honestly, it's more just to talk about like what it was like to grow up in the nineties and two thousands and how gaming really does connect everyone on some level. So that's exactly why I started the podcast. My, my angle was like, okay, well, why is gaming so important to me? I have all these, all these awesome memories and these watershed moments that I can look back and they still hold that nostalgic value and meeting new people. If you can bond over games, you you become fast homies pretty easily. <laughs> and uh, so I started like, well, I just want to talk to people about like, see the difference between, you know, this console and these games were the big deals for me. I bring someone on and they have a completely different experience. Sometimes maybe they haven't even heard of the games that are a big deal to me or vice versa. And so I started bringing people on and it's like, it's very loose. We'll just kind of go over. I wanted to go over like your, your, the consoles you liked leading up to the GameCube and then we can get into like why the GameCube was a big deal and and why it's why you guys chose that console out of all of them because there's a lot of consoles out there um but yeah you can everyone can connect I mean it's gaming to at this point when I was growing up it was a little what's the word maybe there's a little bit of shame associated with it nerds only but like now it's not like that at all. Everybody games. No. Everybody can connect with gaming. Everybody poops. <laughs> yes. Everybody poops also as well. Unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> <I think laughs> so to start off with your first question was games consoles that got us into gaming. Uh, the first console. Wait, I got to cut I... you off. I have to cut you off. So I have a tradition. I try to guess each first console, but I need one hint. I need the year each of you were born. We're both born in 93. 93? Yeah, 1993. Do you mean mean consoles or like, like, do you mean handheld consoles as well or just... Well, you just gave me a hint. um, So you're Game Boy Color. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Booyah! Ooh, one for two. All right. So for me, I'll I'll give you the same hint. For me, my first gaming memory was a console. That's a console, not a handheld. Okay, and you were 93. It could, you're like, you're right in the middle. I'm going to say Super Nintendo. That's correct. Yes. Nice job. Wow. Dude, I have not been I, – I, you guys just met me. I don't want to brag too much. But I have been right like 15 episodes in a row. I've nailed wow. it. Wow. I'm impressed. No, my first memory of a game console was uh, Mighty Morphing Power Rangers on Super Nintendo. I might have been three years old. Wow. You are <laughs> definitely the first person to bring up Power Rangers, which we kind of talked a little bit about. the. Uh, so the Super Nintendo one was the beat-em-up, and the Genesis was the fighting game, right? They were set sure. different. Yep. I don't think I played the Super Nintendo ones. SNES, Power Rangers. There's two Power Rangers games. I forget now. I'm trying to rack my brain if that's the one that has a subtitle or not. It's it's a beat-em-up. It is a beat-em-up. It's, it is a beat-em-up. It's a two-hour game if you want to pick it up. It's... <laughs> ridiculously short but that's my first gaming memory and then my uncle gave us his super nintendo with link to the past super mario world um and a bunch of other games that we still have to this day and i've gone back and picked up all the donkey kongs and and whatnot but yeah it's a fantastic console and then i of course graduated to the n64 the gamecube and then i think i left nintendo after that once the wii came out i went over to playstation um now i'm back with the switch but yeah so that's kind of been that's that was where i started the, the Super Nintendo, and you were so you both started on a Nintendo console, which I guess sort of yes. makes sense. For Game mm-hmm. Boy Color, where you was Pokemon the big deal? 
Yeah, I had Pokemon uh, Red and Blue. I think I actually somehow got both because at Christmas, you know, people don't talk to each other, and I'm sure some aunt got me blue and yeah, my mom dude, that's got me awesome. red. <laughs> Jeez. And um, yeah, so Pokemon was probably the first kind of game that uh, for Game Boy Color. Uh, I was also really into Space Invaders, and there's a Pac-Man game for Game Boy Color because my dad really liked that stuff when he was growing up. Um, and and uh, in bars, bars, really, actually, not even growing up. But that's kind of where, where he played his growing games. up in bars. <laughs> <laughs> so he was uh, kind of a bit. He was a supporter of me, like getting into games. I guess. Um, I, I think I moved on to the advance after Game Boy Color, and then that's where I played Super Mario World, which I always. I, when I was a kid, I just thought that's where, where that was the, the first console, console that was on. I didn't know that was a SNES game. I didn't know, I didn't know SNES existed. <laughs> um, and, and I never had an N64. Uh, my, parents my parents never got me any kind of consoles. consoles. I guess they thought that uh, it would, I know, rot your brain. my childhood or something. Yeah. But they always, like, I had I had Color, Advance, Advance, and Advance SP. Um, just, just because we went on a lot of car rides and stuff as a kid, so they're like, here, you have something to do. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Uh, yeah, I guess GameCube. GameCube was the, the first that. console. Then, so for you, GameCube yeah. was the first home console. It was the first, yeah, first home console. You never forget your yeah. first. Never forget my first. Yeah. I got it in 2000, Christmas of 2002, I think. When, whenever the, uh, the demo for, or like the... Legend, Legend of Zelda, Zelda collector's, collector's Edition came out. Uh, uh, they, got they got that bundle for me. So, so I think so it was yeah, Christmas of 2002. And then yeah, I got a Wii, and that I also left Nintendo for a while and went back with the Switch after um, after the Wii. Played a lot of PlayStation. Uh, never an Xbox guy, but mostly PlayStation. A lot of kind of got into the Dark Souls series pretty hard for a while. Now yeah, we could turn this into a Dark Souls podcast. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm a, too easily. I'm, I, yeah, dude. I, uh, I, I get, I get really nerdy about lore, mm. and Dark Souls has cool lore, and so the like. For example, I'm listening. There's an awesome okay. podcast. I don't know if you guys play JRPGs, but uh, there's an awesome podcast called Retrograde Amnesia. Where they, they okay. go through an old school JRPG and they play, two guys play it. Oh, shit, there's Artorias. <laughs> Praise the sun. Praise um, the sun. There's a, they go through, like, they play a game together for like a week and then they write, mm -hmm. they write notes and then every episode is the gameplay segment. They have 55 episodes on Xenogears. And I'm like, I'm like oh 35 God. in, and it's like I've never seen anyone go so deep into one game, and I eat it up. And Dark Souls is the same way. I'm listening to a, a Region Free Gamers podcast. They have a Dark Souls episode, and so I can just get into the lore all day long. Oh, that's oh, like, like uh, Vada Vidya, I think his name is on YouTube. Yes, who kind of goes over yes. all the the, the lore for Dark Souls? Because I mean, that's the the fun part about that is that there's so much stuff that you can have as headcanon. And, and you can really just create whatever story you want with Dark Souls with the uh, all those great item descriptions. What games stand out to you for those those early years? All ports, to be honest. <laughs> Yoshi's Island, um, Super Super Mario World, uh, Super Mario sixty four, which uh, I had never played sixty four on sixty four. I'd only played it on the DS, and so years later I went back and played it on the sixty four. I was like, wow, this is so much better. 
And for us, for a DS game that we really bond over is uh, Kate. If you like games with lore and and really deep story, is the uh, the nine 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 series on DS. Oh yeah, fantastic! Uh, the Virtue's Last Reward. There's three games, and it's a trilogy. It started on DS. It eventually migrated over to Vita, and I think it's on consoles now, right, Mike? You bought the PS4 version, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a it's a visual novel yeah. more than anything. Yeah. Um, but it's so deep, and it's it's like a mix of Saw and Ooh Arby's. Ooh, an Arby's ad. All right. Not sponsored. Feels like an Arby's night. If you're looking for a roast beef sandwich with beautiful... Oh, okay, here we go. Pepsi. Must be Super Bowl time. No. We're looking at, what is this, 999 reviews? Yeah, so it's very... Mm-hmm. It, it, don't be... If you're turned away by Japanese-looking games for whatever reason, don't worry about it. It's not super weebish, as people like to call it. It's. Very, I mean, I don't play any Final Fantasy games, so and it, took, it takes a lot to get me into anything to do with this type of anime. But Art it's a style, fantastic yeah. game. People, like, there's death, there's consequences for decisions, and there's right and wrong endings. So if you're looking for something that... I, I played this game on the train when I was going to school and college, and I ate it up. I almost missed stops because of it. This is by far one of my favorite games on the DS, and one of the best handheld Agreed. games of all time, like franchise series. If It's on DS, 3DS, Vita, and now PS4, Xbox One. I don't know about Switch, but... How do you um, do these sections? So I'm seeing like you're... Using the puzzle solvings, so like Resident Evil style puzzles. It's very Resident Evil uh, style. Escape rooms. Think of Resident Evil with just the puzzles. Yep. No zombies, but you are trapped in a ship of some kind. You need to escape. You have wristbands that explode if you do the wrong thing. So it's it's tense at times, and it's there's no voice acting. It's completely text based. There's eventually voice acting in the later games, but the first game is my favorite one in the series. And excellent. And the the trilogy, like they all like to get the whole story, you gotta play all three. Yeah, but you really only need to I mean, in my opinion, you really only need to play the first game. I think it just is miles above the other two. Mm -hmm. If you only want to play the first game, it is a cohesive story, but once you play the second game, you kinda have to finish it. So yeah. It's it's a great game standalone. The second game doesn't make any sense. No, if you only play the second (laughs) or the third, it would make no sense at all. But Definitely a handheld game that I would recommend. I've never tried a visual novel. People have been recommending Steins Gate to me as one to oh, yeah. to get it. in. I've I've literally never. Heard, I, I'm a pretty big video game nerd, and I have never heard of Nine Nine Nine. So you guys, cool. It does it does happen every few episodes. Yeah, you, you I've never, but you it's true. It. Yes. Hand, I never had handheld. So mm-hmm. yeah. So what was your first console? Then were you an NES kid or? Yeah, NES. I was born in '85, so NES. I had an NES and a Game Boy, uh, Game Gear. I mean, I had everything. I bought a Genesis. Then I never had a Super Nintendo until much later. Like as in a college kid, I bought it retrospectively. Genesis, uh, PS One, sixty four at the same time. Then PS Two. That's it. No Xbox or GameCube. But like I texted you guys, my friend had all three, and he had Star Wars Rogue Squadrons, and I was like, God nice. damn it, that game looks good. <laughs> I wish is, I had does, GameCube. Yeah, game holds up, and then you stopped. Collecting consoles after that and switched over to PC mostly, or do you have any of the? I'm PC, like almost primarily now. The launch PS3 is backwards compatible, so I played PS1 and PS2 and PS3 games. That was probably the console that has the most hours on it for me is mm-hmm. the PS3 because it was backwards compatible. PS1 is my like favorite console. It's like the console that I consider like the golden era for me. Um, okay. Most of the retro games I play are from that era, and then um, PS4. I've never had an Xbox either. Uh, but Xbox Games Pass is dope as hell for PC. That's, that's probably the best decision Microsoft has made with the Xbox in like 10 years, Mike. I don't know what you'd say, but <laughs> yeah. they make the weirdest decisions as a company with just games that they make and franchises that they lean into. But 
the past few years when they came out with Game Pass for, what is it, just a couple bucks a month, it's like a Netflix subscription and you can play every single game in their back catalog is just such a good move for, for gamers. And if, if there are games in that library that you want to play, I think it's great. I would love to see Nintendo do something like that. I'm waiting. Yeah. For, I would give you them know they won't. Fi- I know. I would, <laughs> they, they came so close with the Switch. With the mm-hmm. uh, the NES Pass, and now they have Super Nintendo on there, which is fine, but I've played Mario World a hundred times already. I don't need to play it again. I'd love to play some N64 and GameCube games on my Switch, which we're, we're getting a slow drip of these games. Like, this year we were lucky to get Pod Racing, which is one of my favorite N64 games, Star Wars Pod Racer. And then we're getting some random GameCube games on there. Like, we got Jedi, uh, what's it called, Jedi... Knights, I think, was on there, and uh, Cell Damage came out. So we got just these random game. Obviously, we just got Sunshine, which Mike and I willed into existence. But I would just love to have this catalog of for twenty bucks a month, you can play as many GameCube games as you want. I would give them fifty bucks a month for that. So they they probably it's a classic Nintendo. They're gonna slow drip games until they've milked it that way, and then they're gonna come out with a subscription after everyone else has become standard. It's subscription. Yes. Yes. Nintendo will be the last one to do it after they've extracted all the value from the old business model as possible. Yeah, maybe. It's just such a letdown when every month they do add games to that subscription every so often. And it's just so depressing when you log on and it's like, golf. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, NES golf. I've always wanted to play Pilot waited. Wings on SNES. Like, it's... Uh... I don't know. <laughs> Meanwhile, yeah. everyone's at begging for just... I want to play Double Dash with my friends on Switch again, but... Anyway, yeah, here we are. Yeah, and that's that's one of the reasons. So, like, obviously, you're asked why we started this podcast. That that was one of the reasons we wanted to talk about GameCube. Was a lot of videos have come out recently. There's a a, a YouTube channel called Girlfriend Reviews. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, they're very good with kind of. It's a girlfriend who's watching her boyfriend kind of play games and kind of giving her experience of what that's like. And she has an excellent episode on. The GameCube, and it's really cool because she explains how fun this console looks, and realizes that it actually has a pretty special place in a lot of people's hearts because of the fact that it's you can easily go back to play GameCube games and kind of reimmerse yourself in that fun. Where with PlayStation and Xbox games, obviously they're great, and I I'm nothing against them, but it's it's a different kind of feeling when you go back and play a PlayStation game. You know, often they're single person games. Um, that the graphics really haven't held up at all. Uh, where a lot of these GameCube games, the graphics were never meant to hold up. You know, they were never meant to even be competing at the time. And a lot of them are these four-person games that you remember fondly playing with, I don't know, your like, little cousins or something. Or playing at people's friends' house houses. So, yeah, the GameCube kind of has gone into this special place recently where it's been in a lot of different media. And GameCube game prices have skyrocketed in the last couple uh, years. So, yeah, that's another reason to talk about it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, game prices in general. I mean, not all consoles, but I had this, I had this <clears throat> question for another guest recently. Like, do you think the game prices skyrocketing is like a bubble? Or is it the rarity of these things is just going to keep skyrocketing and maybe they're going to get like crazy expensive, like otherworldly expensive? I, 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 I think it's always a bubble in in that sense because if you think about it for N64 games, for example, a lot of N64 games have gone down in value. Uh, uh, there was a point maybe, I don't know, Neil, like three, four years ago that boxed N64 games were extremely highly priced and highly valuable. 
and now you see uh, these cartridges in a lot of game stores going for maybe like forty to fifty dollars instead of their hundred to one hundred and ten that they were going for a couple of years ago. So it's I think it's all about who is in the market to be buying them. You know, GameCube is almost twenty years old now. The people who grew up with them are now having more disposable income. Yes. So it's almost like every. So you get these bubbles based on the next generation of kids as they get into their late 20s and 30s. They have the disposable income that they're searching, like they get into that nostalgia. So it's like maybe the 64 already had its run. All the the percentage of the population that was very interested in collecting, it's already run its course. And then the prices drop down. That's a... That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and it's about to happen with the Wii. So we've seen it, like Mike said, when I first got into video game collecting, it was around 2011. And that's when I was collecting N64 games because that was my second console that I had as a kid. And I missed a few games on there. So I got them when they were just starting to spike. So I picked up games like Ocarina of Time for maybe $20 on eBay. It wasn't wasn't breaking my budget. (laughs) It wasn't super bad. And then a few months later, about a year later, I was checking back on the prices and some of the games that I got for 20 bucks were going for 50. So I just jumped in before that bubble. I just got in the GameCube bubble as well. I was collecting GameCube games around the same time when I was picking up games that we've covered on the podcast, like Simpsons Hit and Run, which is a fantastic game on PS2 as well, if you haven't picked it up. One of the few really good Simpsons games. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, have, yep. we have an episode about it as well. And it's, it's a great, I've never gotten deep into the GTA franchise, but Simpsons Hit and Run and I'm not even a huge Simpsons fan, but Hit and Run, I played for about a month one summer when I picked it up. And I keep my receipts just to see this bubble uh, go mm-hmm. up and then, and then crash back down so I can see. I like to see what I paid for games, and that's the best way. So I think I paid $24.99 for, for it at a game store. And then when we went back to do the podcast episode, we always mentioned the price of the games at the time of recording. Just as a, if people want to pick up the game, just to know what they're getting themselves into. It's in Canadian dollars, so it's obviously a little... We like to make a good point that we're recording from Canada. <laughs> um, but we did the, the episode on Simpsons Hit and Run, and it was $100. And that was only four years later. So it's quadrupled in price in that time. But it's funny because the GameCube version is 100 to 120 where the PS2 version is just 10 to 20 right. uh, which is mind-boggling to me that makes more sense because ps2 is greatest selling console of all time there's probably way more copies of that game on the ps2 version just out in the wild for sure yeah yeah Yeah. gamecube only sold uh 31 million million. 22 is less than 22 million i don't even know (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah ps2 selling 150 million like so obviously yeah you're you're right there's gonna be tons more and Um, and now you're gonna start to see wii games going up in price because those kids that were young in 2007 are now I guess they're 13. So within the next five to six years, they're going to start to get part-time jobs or full-time jobs once they leave uni. And um, and yeah, those games are all going to skyrocket too. Like Mike and I make a joke whenever we go video game hunting, we'll find Wii games, just buy $1 Wii games just for fun, just to play them. Yeah, but they'll never they'll never go as high as GameCube. Those games won't, but there will be certain games on Wii that you'll see sure. you never would yeah. have expected to go up to $100 that will. Like the Mario yeah, Party but- games that you see that are usually 20 bucks. Mad World will be 100 bucks. Mad World, which I bought for $8 at Walmart when Wii games were being cleared out. So, I yeah, that's why I like to keep receipts, just to see what I paid yep. and then eventually go back and check Feels to see good. what it's worth now. Even though I don't want to sell the games, it's just it's just cool to see. So And then, yeah, like, like we said, GameCube games are very expensive right now, especially during 2020. They really went up around June. Right after we made started the podcast, actually, it was funny. We, <laughs> it was, you started to see on threads and gaming forums just how expensive Double Dash was or Sunshine was, and then 
and it's coming to a definitely a peak right now, I think. But it'll be interesting to see it go down once those collectors stop buying the games, and once those games find homes, and it'll just it'll, it'll go down just like NES game. NES games were expensive too at some point, and some of them still are, but they do eventually level out. Nintendo also artificially inflates it by not having GameCube games being played anywhere. Yeah, it's weird because um, Neil and I talked about this recently, actually, because the GameCube had a ton of legacy collections, tons of these, like, four Mega Man collections, I think. Mm-hmm. And they still come <laughs> and, and out with so Mega Man actually... collections today on new consoles. Yes, and dude, that's the best way. I'm glad you brought that up. So a lot of times what I'll do, there'll be certain games that are on older Nintendo consoles, but I will play the collection edition on GameCube. One, because those editions were, like, really solid. They already had improvements mm-hmm. a lot of the times, like quality of life improvement. And two, the GameCube emulator Dolphin is, like, refined to a T. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. So oh, the yeah. best way to play some Nintendo games is to play, like, the collection on the GameCube version on an emulator. Yep. Majora's Mask and uh, Ocarina of Time, yes. the best ways, in my opinion, to play those are on the collector's edition. And there's actually specific mods. Uh, I did a video about texture mods for the GameCube re-release of Ocarina of Time. There's a HD te- texture mod for that version, and it's like mm-hmm. the best HD mod for Ocarina of Time. It's awesome. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even like Sonic and just weird games that aren't even Nintendo games are better well, on Sonic, GameCube uh, for some reason. <laughs> the Sonic, uh, the Mega Collection has a really rare game on it called Sonic CD uh, that you can't find anywhere and like has never been physically released. So uh, a lot of people bought the Mega Collection just to play that uh, play that game. Isn't there a Mega Man X Collection on GameCube? I, we haven't covered Mega Man yet. It's coming up. We're going to do it in 2021. But there is a Mega Man Collection. I don't know if it's X or just the regular Mega Man Collection that it's not the ideal way to play Mega Man because you can't button map and the way that they arrange the buttons with X and Y doesn't make sense for original Mega Man players. So that collection, I think, is one of the few compilations on GameCube that isn't up to speed with playing it on Super Nintendo, NES, or the new mm-hmm. games on modern-gen consoles, which Mega Man, it seems to have a collection coming out every two weeks. Like it's, They just really <laughs> want people to play Mega Man for some reason. They have reason. a lot of games. They do, yep. A lot of games. Were you just too young and it was like the GameCube, which is what you got? Or were you like, that's what I want? Out of the three consoles, I want the game. I choose the GameCube over the other two. Yeah, for for me, I wanted the GameCube. I remember we had a, an assignment in school where it's like you're supposed to write your parents like a, a, a letter <laughs> uh, of like, and you're trying to like persuade them for something. I think it was like the English class or something like that. And uh, it was me writing the letter to persuade them to buy me uh, GameCube and Double Dash. <laughs> because uh, I think just a lot of my friends had GameCube. And for me, I was, you know, I was probably, how old were we, you know, like 11 yep. uh, or, or 10? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I guess like 9 actually in 2002. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I didn't play shooters. You know, I, I didn't really know anything else other than nintendo i knew like like playstation existed but i knew that was like for the older kids basically so i was like okay nintendo is the way to go i have game boys gamecube that seems like the natural switch yeah Mm -hmm. for me it was a similar kind of a similar situation where i had snes my brother and each had a game boy game boy color game boy advance n64 so when it was time for me to get a new console i really just wanted to play spider-man 2 and I just absolutely adored. I was playing it at the EB Games or GameStop near our house. Had Spider Man Two in a kiosk that I would go and play while my mom got her haircut or while she did groceries. And I would take the game to friends' houses who had PlayStation Twos. So 
I think when my it was for my 11th birthday, they just needed a console that played Spider-Man 2 and we they knew Nintendo and it was would have been the cheapest bundle at the time or the cheapest console because I think around that time it, it got that price drop to around $100, maybe $150. So I they knew I liked Xbox as well. I loved Halo, playing Halo at friends' houses, but they probably didn't know that you couldn't play Halo on GameCube. So I ended up with the GameCube, yeah. but I was totally fine with that. I had Spider-Man 2 and something to play it on. And then from there, I just found all of these new games that I had never heard of before. And I had played Mario Kart on N64, so it was obvious to get Double Dash. And I, it was just an easy transition into GameCube. So I'm really glad that they picked GameCube over Xbox and PS2, to be honest. I did go back and buy a PS2 later on just to play Rock Band. So that, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, in high school, I really wanted to play Rock Band and I needed, I didn't have a job yet, right? So I just needed the cheapest way to play Rock Band and EB Games was clearing out PlayStations for, I think, 40 bucks. So I picked up a PlayStation 2. Didn't, you know, didn't, didn't factor in the fact that I would need a memory card and an extra controller and, and whatever else I needed to buy and the Rock Band box, which was an obnoxious set for $100. So, <laughs> but I ended up getting that and I, I picked up a few PS2 games along the way, but I always went back to GameCube games. What was the catalyst like, hey, we like GameCube so much, we're going to start a podcast about it? 007 Nightfire. Really? No one's ever really talked about that game. Like We have probably, we, we try and figure it out. Mike and I talk about this from time to time, how many hours we've logged on Nightfire in the last... We've known Mike and I have been friends for almost 20 years. We've been playing Nightfire. I got Nightfire for Christmas of 2000 and, uh, 2004, I guess it would have been. 2003, I got sorry. It, and I got it before him. I got it in 2003, and I remember booting it up. I'd already played it at a friend's house, but there it is. There it is. Oh, I, and it's all its glory. Good, this guy's doing the uh, the the, uh, the platinum uh, run through. Mm, good for him. But I remember <laughs> I got that for Christmas, and I had already been playing. I, I think the only game I had at this point was Spider-Man 2 and Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3. Oh, this game, this level's awesome with the snowmobile and the machine gun. <laughs> Infinite ammo, basically. It counts your yeah. ammo in the bottom right for no reason. You never run out of ammo, even if you lean I actually on the, hate uh, this lean level, on the trigger the entire time. Really? It's very arcadey. But I, I remember <laughs> we were playing, we got, my brother and I were just burning through the campaign so fast, and we got to a level where you're, you're driving around a car going through a city, and I just remember saying out loud, graphics will never get better than this. <laughs> <laughs> Famous last words. And they never did. Famous last they words. They never got better than that. But every single birthday party, every single New Year's, anytime we get together, we always play co-op Nightfire with AI bots turned on. We've, got, we've gone through the campaign several times. Wait, you can co-op so, the campaign? No, we just play it side no, by just... side on a couch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, I think we estimated that we've probably each put about 1,500 hours in this game. <laughs> yeah. Like, over our collective, like, lives. Yep. <laughs> it's... Yeah, I'd say it's it's one of the most like one of the best games I've ever played in terms of it holds up somehow. This game has no business being good. Mm -hmm. It it shouldn't be played in 2020, but it's really fun to play. And for a long time I thought it was just me. Like I thought it was just like, oh, me and Neil and my cousins have played this for years. It's just because we don't know of any other game right. shooters. Uh but I've met more and more people who feel the same way. And I've introduced this game to a couple people, uh, and you know they're often like, "Wow, this game is like really good. Like, why is this game so good? Why don't people talk about it?" It's like, I don't know, because people have a golden eye kind of rose-colored glasses too much, I guess, and just think about golden eye when they think about games, and also the fact that this was on GameCube and and uh, it was on PS2, obviously as well. But yeah, I don't know. I don't have I don't have a reason why. 
Yeah, there's this game isn't talked about as enough. It's not the. I don't think. I don't think it would be the greatest shooter of all time. I just think it has the most playability. Just replayability. It's replayability. Yeah, there's so many modes yes. to play it on when you're playing with friends. The campaign just has what, three levels to play if you want to, you know, hard, medium, easy. And again, the characters like, the are really good. The characters are all fantastic. You have different ways you can change the control scheme around. So if you you can have like Halo controls, you can play Classic Bond. They call them all different things, but we know to switch it over to Moonraker mode, which is basically, I believe that's the Halo controls. Yeah, that's as close to Halo as you can have with one joystick. But it's so it's easy (laughs) to jump in if you're not an old school or old school early 2000s gamer where you don't know how to play like if you try to go back to goldeneye now we talk about this good luck you, like how like open a door you can't figure it out <laughs> you can't you can't aim and, and and run at the same time and even though goldeneye is the bond game that everybody talks about we we say no no nightfire is the game is the is the best james bond game of all time and it's not based on a movie or anything it has mm-hmm. it has all the characters yeah it has all the characters from other movies like jaws odd job and all you know just all the main bond obviously but and um yeah, it's it's not based on any movie or anything. It's it's not Pierce Brosnan's voice, even though it's his likeness. So it's in that era of everything is the world is not enough, everything or nothing. So the story is completely original. Like, the story is actually decent. It's good. Um, yeah, yeah. I I actually read there's a, I think it might be an IGN, but there was actually an article like about a year ago that explained why Nightfire is such a good game and and it's like the lost Bond film almost. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but Mike, Mike and I, we both, we bonded over weird games, not so much games like Metroid Prime or Resident Evil 4 as kids. We, we bonded over games that were like this, like James Bond, Spider-Man, SpongeBob games, because we were that, we were that young and playing it. And, and going back as an adult and seeing all these games that we missed, because we were just too young to know that there were other games other than cartoon tie-ins and movie tie-ins, which were, there were, there were hundreds. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not a game that, you know, it wasn't Sunshine or, or Luigi's Mansion that we bonded over, which is what most people think of when they think GameCube, which is why we love to just bring up games that are weird, that everyone has like a weekend memory because they rented it from Blockbuster. Like we talk <laughs> about Godzilla Destroys All Monsters, which is just a random 3D sh- arena sh- uh, fighter. We talk about Ultimate Spider-Man, which is not the Spider-Man game most people think of. They typically say Spider-Man 2. And the SpongeBob movie game, which is sort of like a Ratchet and Clank game in terms of combat, shooting, and those types of mechanics and platforming so ultimate spider-man you can be venom and eat people <laughs> the tutorial is you eat a child yeah so there's there's just actual real thing yeah so if there's you know <laughs> there's only there's only 22 million consoles out there there's uh, 555 games so it's not like ps2 which which you, you grew up with there's over a thousand ps2 games out there there it is there's venom. it's really fun you can eat children yeah, I was just laughing because I'm like, well, how, I googled Spider-Man Two, Venom Eat Child. I was just laughing like that's what I'm googling right now. Then it's, you, <laughs> hopefully, you can, the, hopefully the government never. Uh, yeah, exactly. Your I hope I'm not on like a list right now. What's his search history? <laughs> I mean, I'm so unfamiliar with the GameCube, GameCube, which is why I brought you guys on. I didn't even know there were Spider-Mans on the GameCube. Yeah. Either one of them. Yeah, a lot of people forget that. Uh, like, because I, I often ask people to come on the podcast. Uh, and they'll be like, oh, I, I know I didn't own a GameCube, you know, I just had a PS2. It's like, well, actually, I'd say like 50% of the games that came to PS2 came to GameCube. Mm-hmm. So there's a good chance that you played it. I just need you to talk about the game. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's one of the reasons you mentioned why did you guys start a podcast dedicated to GameCube. One of the reasons was because this was really the last era where Nintendo was trying to compete with the other big guys. They were trying to make a, they were trying to make a console for 
teenagers or adults. They were trying to make something for hardcore gamers. And they, they were graphically on par with most PS2 and Xbox games. Some games look better, like Metroid Prime being one of the best-looking games of that generation. So they did know how to harness the power of the console. And this was the last time Nintendo really tried to do that. Obviously, after the GameCube, we had Wii, which was a game for parents and young children with Wii Sports. So it was just cool to see them have a crack at just trying to make sports games and Need for Speed games. Or not making them, but they were publishing sports games and Need for Speed games and and shooters like James Bond and Call of Duty, and they were trying weird stuff like Geist and Time Splitters. And it's just a really special time that I don't think we're ever going to see again. It's also the last generation where games shows our age. Games were never patched. There's no DLC. So for me, it's that last kind of innocent era of games that whatever you bought, that's what you got. And I like that. Like, reviewing a game now, you can do it because the game hasn't changed at all in the last 18 years. (laughs) Whereas if if you try to review a game right now, like, I don't know, Overwatch. If you try to review Overwatch now based on its launch day, you could not, it's not the same game. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're, we just did, we just did Scooby-Doo games on GameCube. And our, <laughs> my friend that came on the show didn't even know Scooby-Doo games were on GameCube, but we reviewed them. We looked at Let's Plays. I own them. So, and they're the exact same game. So no different. The games don't look any better. The, the controls are as they were. And I, I love that. So it makes it a little bit easier to go back. If there's not going to be any surprises. There's a really obscure. So I got deep, deep into JRPGs, um, and there was a there were a few on game that were GameCube exclusive. Specifically, I'm gonna s- pronounce this wrong. I think it's like Baiten Baiten Kaidos. It's like a yeah, J- yeah Baiten Kaidos. It's like a JRPG card game, and JRPG heads say that's like like a long lost gem that people that doesn't get enough credit because it was a GameCube. Yeah. I think it maybe went to PS2 later, but I think initially it was a GameCube exclusive um i haven't tried it that's like one of the few gamecube games have you have you guys played that or do you guys play rpgs at all no neither of us are really jrpg fans we we're not even really rpg guys for the most part like other than the odd game that comes out like witcher or uh, you know uh pokemon <laughs> technically are rpgs <laughs> no we we just did an rpg episode a few weeks ago and we covered crystal chronicles and since we since we're not fans of every genre we try like we're not racing game guys we try to do as much research as we can on these franchises and we get people on and then we get our friends to come experts. on yeah mm-hmm. yeah like for me personally uh i i just listened i was listening to some of your uh episodes earlier uh this week and um i love the episode where you brought on uh patrick uh hickey who uh, talked about the sports games uh that was awesome because i'm actually a big sports games fan uh, especially as a kid i played a lot of sports games i played nhl hits and nfl blitz like this the the streets games so that was always it's cool to hear people actually talk seriously i guess almost about the development of these games because there's a lot of cool history patrick is a he's a freaking g he's been on twice yeah and uh i mean i'm like homies with him and uh he like he goes to work i mean it's hard to get people to talk to you and do interviews and track these people down and but he finds out like dope shit that you're not going to find anywhere else on the internet i mean once he once he yeah. puts it out in the in a book it gets on the internet then you can find it on the internet but it's like <laughs> sure. you know he finds shit that hasn't been found yet and uh yeah sports games is another one i i brought him on I'm like dude i don't know anything about sports games just come on and just talk shit about sports games because and uh yeah yeah yeah, and I mean, that's one, another reason why we've gone pretty deep into the research for GameCube, because there isn't a lot of good articles and good, like, Wikipedia entries about some of these games. Like, honestly, a lot of these GameCube games just have, you know, one line, 
and like the developer publisher and that's it one one reference line on wikipedia and that kind of lets us you know i guess two things it lets us research more and and find some interesting things and talk to people about these games but it also kind of lets our imagination run wild <laughs> for some of these in terms of like why things happen a certain way and uh that's something that neil and i like to do a lot is we'll speculate we'll definitely speculate to try and you know we'll we'll see like what what comes out of that sometimes we'll get people messaging us saying hey actually like i do know about this like this is why this is this way it's like cool like that's nowhere nowhere on the internet can i find this information um like the uh uh on in eternal darkness i don't know if you know the eternal darkness game for let's talk about that game okay oh sure perfect <laughs> it's the best i guess exclusive game on gamecube that's not a nintendo ip right? is it yeah. i don't think yeah. it's a nintendo yeah. ip right it's made by uh it's made by silicon knights who they're not a nintendo developer it was published by nintendo so i think it is technically a nintendo ip they just didn't develop it directly we covered that game earlier on it's one of our middle episodes but Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a survival horror game, similar controls to like a Resident Evil. Infamous for messing with your head and breaking yes. the fourth wall. Yeah, yes. and it's very much of a time because Neil and I were talking about how you really can't do that anymore because back in like 2002 when it came out, it, it was very common for your controller to just stop working. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, or the game to freeze. <laughs> like, yes. Or your TV to change so, to TV and then that staticky screen, which just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. So it, it was it was all these things that definitely could happen and playing it like you you're you're like oh okay whatever like no big deal and then you keep playing it cuz it's called sand uh sandy mode I think right Neil sandy mode sanity, sanity oh you're sanity sanity yeah sanity yeah yeah uh and yeah and so like the higher it goes the more chances of these crazy things mm. happening and yeah it gets really freaky when the controller like will disconnect right after you plug it back in yeah that's that's when it's like uh oh yeah what's it, going on and in that episode we did a little bit of speculating on our after we talked about it because one of the things we like to talk about after we cover a, a game or a franchise is where do you see this this franchise do you see it coming back do you see it make, being remade but we didn't think eternal darkness would ever be remade for that exact reason was because the sanity effects just don't hold up anymore but we, we kind of came up with the idea that it would be a really cool netflix series where while you're watching it, maybe your TV gets screwed with, or your phone because your most internet are goes out. Your exactly, your yeah, internet yeah, yeah, goes yeah. down, or you're receiving a call from someone who's not calling you. Just stuff like that, because everybody's watching Netflix and scrolling Instagram. Yes, right. Like, <laughs> you're never just watching. You're never just watching TV anymore. So yeah. while you're watching, while you're watching the Eternal Darkness Netflix or Amazon series, somehow it, it it can screw with your phone like that. That's how we saw it being remade or coming back not as a remake or eternal darkness 2 which they actually tried to do on the wii u i think it was a japan exclusive and it was called like tomb of shadow of the eternals it may not even have ever come out no it didn't but yeah okay so yeah so they're trying to bring it back it, it, it failed twice with the kickstarters so but that is an absolute gem in terms of you mentioned hidden gems on the gamecube eternal darkness is so good and it's with lore it's so heavy when it because it just it jumps mm -hmm. across two thousand years of family heritage and lineage and it goes to parts of the world that they had to actually cut from the game because of 9-11 happening. And it, it's really weird with cultist stuff and religion. It's just, and it's a T-rated game, which, or M, T or M? It's M. M. It's, M. M. it's M. one of the few M games on GameCube, which, again, Nintendo would not publish an M game anymore if their life depended on it. And that's, again, the GameCube was, there's only a few M games on GameCube, and those, that was the last time they did that. 
So it's a it's a horror game published by Nintendo, which we'll probably never see again. So that's why you gotta love the GameCube. On um, it's turned into like yeah, like the hidden gem online for GameCube. Like you can't get into video games and start poking around and not see people talking about Eternal Darkness. No, like we, Mike and I, were a part of a Facebook group, GameCube, GameCube enthusiasts on Facebook, and if you post a photo of Eternal Darkness any day of the week, any time of day, <laughs> you're gonna get. 50 comments, you're going to get 100 likes, and you're going to get how many people are telling you, yo, I just bought this game, or I can't wait to play it, or this game screwed with my head as a kid. You can yeah, post we, that we game got, anywhere on it. We got two it. people to, uh, to buy the game after we, we did our podcast. Like They commented yeah. on Instagram. It was the only other game I remember getting me, like, and it didn't get me, but I watched it. Even knowing the sanity meter and the effects and knowing what they are and then watching it later, I could put myself in the, like, if I was playing this as a kid, Mm-hmm. It would mess me up because I had one reference point to sort of help me get into that mind frame, which is in Metal Gear Solid 1 when you fight Psycho Mantis and he reads your mm-hmm. memory card. And if you have other Konami games on the memory card, he'll start telling you details about your game save. Yep. And uh, I, had, I see you've been playing Castlevania. Yeah, yeah. I see yeah. you like Sui <laughs> yeah, yeah. You've gotten all 108 stars or whatever. Like, And that – and not understanding that the game was like messing with me. And like it made me feel spooky. Like this guy, this is haunted. Like this mm-hmm. dude is like got some paranormal. And I could, and that was a very mild version of what Eternal Darkness ended up doing. Yep. And so I can go back to that memory and be like, Eternal Darkness would have broke my brain had I got a hold of it <laughs> at the right time. And, those, and Eternal Darkness and Metal Gear Solid One are very closely knit on the GameCube because Silicon Knights made the developers the of re- Eternal Twin Darkness. Snakes, they, yes. they made the yeah. remake on GameCube Twin Snakes, so they knew Metal Gear One inside and out. And that was one of I think that is one of the inspirations that they had to making a game based on that mechanic. And I can't think of any modern day games that screw with your head as much as Eternal Darkness did yeah. back in the two thousands. Like there are great horror games today. That's not to say there aren't. There's like, you know, there have been weird ones that really caught on like Slenderman and and uh, Outlast, but those games are just jump scares. They're not spook. Like they're not they're not screwing with you mentally, really. Like Mike and I, we really love to talk about it until dawn, that PS4 exclusive game, which is fantastic. But a game like Eternal Darkness just doesn't exist anymore, and it, it definitely is a cult classic that anyone should pick up. Really, if you like that that type of game. Yeah, the the closest thing that I could think of when we were doing the podcast was um, uh, Undertale. I don't know if you played Undertale, but pitch uh, me on it because it's, scene... it's like it's also like an internet cult classic, and people keep talking mm-hmm. about it. And I look at f- footage of it, and I'm like, ah, I don't know, that doesn't look interesting to me at all. It's like but Earthbound, kind of Earthbound. It's yeah, like the best way to describe it. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very cool because I have no interest in Earthbound, <laughs> and and really no interest in in like that world. And I picked it up because I a lot of people recommended it to me. It's an amazing game, a ten out of ten for sure. But there is a part that is very Eternal Darkness esque um, when you are facing the final boss. Basically, if you don't do something right, uh, your screen keeps kind of reloading itself, and this character from the beginning of the game keeps kind of uh, popping up and saying that your save is deleted. <laughs> it's and it's kind of messed up. Like it, yeah. it freaks yeah. you out. What everyone says that game is. Like ten out of ten, without spoiling. Like, what makes it so good? Especially, I'm interested because you said you're not historically into like RPGs and like that style of game. Yet, Undertale's mm-hmm. a ten out of ten. Is it the writing? Is it the story? I'd say the writing is excellent and very much you know in line with like a what a great story should be. Um, the 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 fact that they do so much with so little, 
It's only one guy who did the entire game, created it, developed it, uh, wrote the music to it. Um, it. It was just a passion project from from him, Toby Fox, and it it really I, I don't know. It immerses you in a in a Pokemon esque way in terms of you know you're really like uh, in that those kind of graphics, but it also kind of messes with your head as you go along, and you're you're really trying to figure out what why you're even playing this game at this point. Mm-hmm. It's a short game, but it's it's so so simple on the surface and it it's like an iceberg it's there's so many layers and you can play it really however way you want you can play it just as a quick story or you can play it as this deep understanding of like human existence (laughs) (laughs) and and it it like like i i have chills just talking about it right now because there's a couple of like moments where you really are like questioning everything about why you're playing this game so yeah. that's all I can really say without completely spoiling. Yeah, when you first start up the game, you think it's like a happy game, kind of like Pokemon, where you're going on this grand adventure and everything's going to be great and fun, and you're gonna you're gonna have a a rival and you're gonna fight bosses. But then it it just start it just takes a turn to like a very mm-hmm. dark, a, a slow turn. Yeah, and it makes you start to question your decisions. Like, why did you you know like you'll you'll be fighting an enemy, and just like in any other game, when you're fighting an enemy, you'd obviously think I got to kill this guy. But then you'll start to question, like, well, do I have to kill these guys? And you can get out of battles without killing things, and that changes. Well, we won't spoil again. I won't spoil it, but your decisions on what you do in battle affects your ending and, and affects how your character goes through the game. And for me, what makes a game good these days is that there's just so many games out there. Just like there's so many podcasts out there. There's just like you know, every day there's a hundred new games that hit the market. And when a game comes out that's different, it's just enough to give it like an extra three points on your scale of if a game is good or not. Like. You can you can open up you can open up the PlayStation Store any day and find a generic shooter. You can find a generic platforming game, and everything else. But if you find a game that just it just captures your attention for five to ten hours, it doesn't have to be a hundred hours long, and it, it, it the story sticks with you. The writing is good. The game doesn't crash, and it's it's just original. It feels honestly original. I think that that's what makes so it you guys. Great it sounds days. like it doesn't have to be explosive. It doesn't, yes. it doesn't have to be explosive. It doesn't have to have the best shooting mechanics. It just has to be different mm-hmm. enough. And Undertale is one of those games that exists in the indie space. It's not even developed. It's not an EA game. It's not an Activision game or a Ubisoft it's one game. Guy. It's one guy who made a game yeah. with just his heart and soul in his garage or in his basement. Just, <laughs> just like Stardew Valley. Like there's a ton of these games that are coming out now. Cuphead, which Mike and I love, which is a game that looks like the 1930s animation disney style toronto, toronto developed yeah just these games that are coming out from two three people in a bedroom over the course of five years just pouring all the money that they can make into it and then it comes out a success and it's different and it's fun and people talk about it for a short while that really makes a game attend to me it's not yeah, yeah. sure so you have a good list of games now to play that aren't on gamecube after this podcast is over <laughs> <laughs> the summary is it's uh the fresh factor for undertale was mm-hmm was powerful yeah, and yes. uh, got you over the hump of the old graphics, got you over the hump of an RPG that, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and also like Neil and I always, we say this like probably every episode, but what makes a lot of these games so good, like some of these GameCube games so good is when you think that it was made by one person, it feels like it feels extremely cohesive. You know, it feels like one person had a vision and it was executed exactly what they wanted to be. And you don't see a lot of games like that anymore. Unfortunately, Neil and I both played Last of Us Part Two. Uh, we both loved it. Obviously, we still have our issues with with the gameplay itself. I don't know if you played 
Last of Us Part Two. I just went on a huge rant about this game with my last guest. I'm not going to tell you if it was positive okay. or negative, but if you disagree with me, it's because you're wrong. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm very passionate about my opinion on this game. That's fine. I was, so I was going to say basically just very quick summary. I think the first half felt the most cohesive vision I've ever I've ever seen in a game. Felt like one person did the entire thing. The second half felt like it was a team of 200 people. Mm-hmm. I could actually see that. I didn't think of that while I was playing. But now that you bring it up, it, it did feel like more, um, even though the game was really long, it felt more like choppy, disjointed mm-hmm. towards mm-hmm. the end. Like just kind of yeah. jumps. Like we need to wedge in a bunch of, we need to wedge a bunch of these square characters into this round hole of a game that just doesn't fit. <laughs> but we're going to, we're going to make it work. We'll make it work. Yeah. I yeah, Mike and I we disagreed a little bit on the Last of Us Part Two. I can understand people's issues with it. I absolutely adored it, but and yeah, it didn't feel like as a cohesive game as the first one did. I don't think it's better than the first one. It was a bit too long, but yeah, uh, it's nice to. It's, we won't get into no, it we won't, too much. Let's not jump into that too much. This is a GameCube podcast. The, the main message of the story <laughs> is that it's great to play a game that feels like one person's vision when it isn't one person working on it. Yeah. Well, for those listening, for the record, it's a masterpiece. And if you don't agree, then uh, that's okay. We can agree to disagree. I don't, I don't by, by masterpiece, kind of like Undertale, I don't think it's a perfect game. In fact, it's worse than the first game in many respects. But emotionally, and like all yes. said and done, I've never had a game make me feel like that. Mm. Yeah, that, that last scene hit both Neil and I. Yeah. And- yeah. It's like, whoo, whoo. <laughs> that that and uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, uh, uh, which I played last year. The, yes, the last scene of that. That hits too. Yes, that hits hard. it's the. It's, uh, oh, I haven't I haven't played. Oh, Red Dead Redemption Two, not Red. No, the one where th- I, I haven't played the newest Red Dead. You're talking about the okay. one before that, right? No, I'm talking about the newest one. Oh, I haven't played the newest one. Shit. Well the, well, the the end scene hits Sh- you hard. Should I play it? It seems so you long. Absolutely should. The people say it's like uh, ninety it, hours. It's a, yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of those games that it's as long as you make it. You know, it's like The Witcher. So if you're if you're doing every single side quest, it's going to be a hundred twenty hour game. If you're trying to just like mainline the game, then it's you know probably about thirty hours. Yeah. The the other the earlier Red Dead had an ending where you play like you you beat the game. I don't know if you guys played the the one prior. I forget what it's called. Red Dead One. Um, yeah, you beat the last guy, then you like go back to your farm, whatever, and you like do chores with your son. Like you go back to the very beginning of the game when you had no, you like heard some cattle. You're like, I thought the game was over, but I'm still playing. And it's like yep. you get you get to live the happy ending for a little bit, and then it goes dark and it's not happy. And then you end up playing as the son after the main character gets killed, and you go back mm-hmm. and you get revenge. Like it's like the best epilogue. It's mm-hmm. so I, it sounds like they did something similar for Red Dead Two. It must be so intimidating to follow up a game like red dead or like the last of us just like when you have this game that just takes the world by storm sells tens of millions of units it's perfect tens on all the major outlets and then you know somebody with a lot of money tells you you have to make another one <laughs> it must be just the- especially last of us because the i don't know if you know this the story about the production and the development of that but 95 percent of the team that made it did not make the the second one because uh most of them got poached uh after uh um, Uncharted, because Uncharted Four was made before The Last of Us, um, and then it just came out after The Last of Us, uh, and so after that project, a lot of them left. There was also like Naughty Dog has its problems, like every studio does, but there were I think a lot of problems at Naughty Dog at the time, and probably still are. But um, I know a lot of people left uh, after the first one and got poached by other studios, and 
so the 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 second one was was done by mostly a new staff but uh, i think the director is the same as well as a couple others yep yeah we we, we could do a whole podcast on last of us 2 and why it's so divisive um it we'll plays yeah <laughs> We can, yep. we can come back to it. I do want to, because we talked about Eternal Darkness and I'm so unfamiliar with the GameCube, what are other like non-big Nintendo obvious franchise that everyone knows, games on the GameCube that if you were to sell someone, like, you should try this. This is an awesome hidden gem. Oh, we're, we're ready. Mm-hmm. We're ready. Hit me. You want to go first, Mike? <laughs> go first, Mike? Sure, I can, I can go first. Um, so I would definitely say Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, like we said uh, earlier. I think that's just a fantastic game. I don't think enough people talk about F-Zero GX. Um, oh, people talk about the F-Zero I played the franchise. 64 one, but not the GameCube one. The GameCube one is usually regarded as the best one. It, it is it handles amazingly. If you want a racing game that's not Mario Kart, you know, or something something new, something different, and something that feels very fresh in 2020, mm-hmm. um, F-Zero G- GX is definitely for you. Um, I guess, well, Hit and Run is on obviously other consoles. Super Monkey Ball. Super Monkey Ball 2 is a really fun game that when at first when you're looking at it, it's like, ah, oh, this is whatever, this is like a kid's game. And then you start to get into it. And uh it's it really is addictive to play. I don't know if you've ever played any of the Super Monkey Ball I franchise. I've is that where it's like you have like a a plane that you tilt? So it's almost like an evolution of Marble Madness. Yes. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have played a little bit of it. It's very it's very addicting and it um is actually a game that's used by surgeons uh, to get ready for surgery. Uh, that's an actual really fact that we learned. Yep. Just to get just to get their <laughs> wow. hands ready, like still and and yeah, mm-hmm. just get them in the mindset of being just to get their dexterity level up. I guess. Yeah. 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 One of the many fun facts we've learned while uh, researching this uh, <laughs> this console. Yeah. For me, I'll I'll jump in with a few games. Uh, Kate, yeah. since you said you're a PS2 guy, you must have been a huge fan of games like SSX, like the snowboarding games. Y- yeah, okay. Like I know that though that franchise was huge on PS2. There's a game on GameCube and N64 called 1080 Avalanche. It's made by Nintendo and published by Nintendo. It's basically like their answer to SSX, and it's a fantastic. I played 1080 game. on 64. I didn't know there was a 1080 on GameCube. There though. is. There's a, it's yeah. one of those weird sports franchises that Nintendo tried to make a first-party franchise out of. Just like Wave Race, there's also a sequel to Wave Race on the GameCube, which these games are both fairly inexpensive. I think you can normally find them for 20 bucks. So if you like those extreme sports games, the soundtrack is interesting. It's got Finger Eleven as the main band <laughs> on there. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> Finger Purple butt monkeys. Yeah, and like Cauterize uh, is on there. It's it's a very early two thousands rock game with the music, and it's it's supposed to be that cool kind of angsty. So it looks a lot like SSX. You're looking at it right now. Um, I played this game to death because I didn't know what SSX was. I just had this, and mm-hmm. it's a really fun snowboarding game. When you're going real fast, I'm, you feel powerful. I never could snowboard, but this game made me feel like I might be able to one day. <laughs> Another two that I can recommend here are Time Splitters Two. Oh, Which Time Splitters made- 2 is amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Everybody, yes. everybody knows that. Made by that. the same uh, people who made uh, GoldenEye. I feel like not a lot of people know that, though. No? I, I, I didn't know it's that. Only it's, like a- that's a rare? <laughs> or was it people left rare and formed a new studio? Right. Is that Correct. what happened? Yeah. So it, okay. it basically, it's honestly like like 90% of the GoldenEye team uh, who made this studio. So it's basically GoldenEye 2.0. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Burnout 2, which is a fantastic game. Yeah. 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 Uh, Burnout 2 is like car crash porn, basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it's so much fun to play. Um, Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee, which we mentioned earlier, is uh, also a game that no one talks about, unfortunately, but and I've never seen it done since. Maybe Rampage would come closest. Yeah. But it's 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 such a cool and unique game. Yeah. It's just big monsters fighting in cities. You can use buildings to hit each other with. So if you're into the big monsters like Pacific Rim or Godzilla, obviously it's a it's a must pick up game. That's one of the games that's actually jumped up in price a lot recently, I believe. Mm-hmm. People heard. People heard they it. Heard they heard us talk about it. Yeah. And that, <laughs> again, it's just a few people. I only played this game for a weekend when I was a kid because a friend of mine rented it and we played it at a sleepover to death and I picked it up again a few years later from a store because I saw it and instantly remembered it and it's just dumb fun. There's no story. Yeah. Dude, this looks awesome as shit. Yeah. 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 And it, this, doesn't this look so cool? Put, this, this looks badass. <laughs> I've never seen buildings being able to like blow because this is a 2002 game. So I've never seen buildings like blow up. They could put a in uh Game is like they could this. put a game like this out every year, and I'd buy two copies every time. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it a- reminds me of like uh, Urgeist. Like it's not a, it's not a fighting like a, a flat plane fighting game, like Street no. Fighter, a traditional fighting game. It's that that uh, like, like, like Dragon Ball Z fighter kind of. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z mm-hmm. fighter ish. Yeah, mm-hmm. except you play giant ass monsters, yeah. right? Yeah, and you can destroy the cities, and eventually, like military show up because obviously they need to get called in to deal with it. Mothra shows up. So there's like a lot of just Godzilla lore characters from the yeah. Japanese movies and the American movies. You can play as the Matthew Broderick Godzilla or the classic Godzilla. So that's just a fighting game that was on GameCube that not a lot of people talk about since GameCube didn't have Mortal Kombat and Street Fighters. We had Godzilla games. Another game that I would like to throw into the hat for a random game that is, again, a good budget title is most people talk about Mario Party games on N64 and GameCube being the ultimate party experience, but there's a SpongeBob party game on GameCube called Lights, Camera, Pants, which <laughs> is just a fantastic minigame collection to play. It's actually a good game. It's actually yeah. shouldn't be as good as it is, and it's really easy to find, and it's not going to break your budget. So if you're looking for Mario Party games, but you don't have a, you know enough money, you know a hundred dollars to spend on Mario Party Four, pick up Lights, Camera, Pants if you like that type of game. There's a story to it, but really the mini games are where it's at. <laughs> There's rhythm games and there's like Overcooked, an indie game, modern game Overcooked. There's levels like that. So, yeah, you know, you got to like, you're fishing for beach balls. Again, (laughs) these are all games that are probably just iPhone games now, but we didn't have those when we were kids. So we had these, these, Mike and I used to play this game all the time um, after hockey games or something. And uh, we'd unlock everything. It's funny because my my girlfriend actually knows this game really well. And uh, I remember when she saw it on my shelf. She was like, oh my god, you have lights, camera, pants? That's for GameCube? And I was like, that's for other systems? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Dude, you, so, uh, it's funny you mentioned you guys played hockey? Yep. Yeah. Ah, it's so stereotypical. I only thing I know about I know. Canada, have you guys heard of the show Letterkenny? Oh, yeah. Of oh, course. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how accurate is that? Because that's all I have ever been exposed to Canadian. Okay. Just It's just like Hicktown, uh, Canada. Just like, you know, just like the States has like urban and like non-urban areas like it's the same kind of but thing you're asking if it's accurate it's pretty close right mike like it's, we're it's not, very we're, accurate to well like, you guys Northern don't Ontario. seem like the hockey players in that show you're we're way smarter t- than those guys we're, <laughs> we're from toronto we're from a big city of almost oh, what two million people so it's a little bit four million four, people. okay wow four million people um but yeah if you go people forget that toronto is like the third biggest city in, in north it's america huge yeah so yeah we played ice hockey and we played street hockey in the summer so that stereotype we fit fairly well but yeah, if you go into the northern areas of Ontario, especially, yeah. like, if you drive three, four hours, look for small towns with 5,000 people, you'll get people like Letterkenny, hands down. 
Also, yeah. trailer. Oh, there's also there's also Trailer Park Boys, which is a little less accurate, but still hilarious. Well, that's that's like the East Coast. Yeah, you know, like that. It just again, like it's very much like the states, right? You have your you have your regions, and every every region has their own kind of shtick. And like you know, us being from big city, we're be, we could be from any big city in the states or Canada. It doesn't matter, yeah, right? Because Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto are basically. Like their own things, and then outside of that, then it becomes Letterkenny. It's it's funny because half of our <laughs> listeners are actually from America. So, and we, Mike and I, every month we look at our numbers, and it's just okay, fifty percent again, U.S. It's like who's listening to us, and then we don't know anybody. <laughs> it's funny. So, yeah. All I knew about Canadians was that the stereotype was super nice. Okay, that's about it. Everyone's super nice, and then I saw Letterkenny, and I was like, apparently everyone's fucking funny too, because that show <laughs> is goddamn hilarious. Well, we have some of the best comedians ever who are Canadian. You know, John Candy, Jim Carrey. I didn't know um, Jim Carrey Myers, was from Canada. Bare Naked Ladies. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, Jim Carrey. <laughs> you know all. The- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we got uh, Martin Short. Um, the list goes on. We got a lot of good Canadian uh, content. Yep. No, it, Did, was there any difference between the games that get released in Canada versus America? No, so sometimes Canada will have uh, different box arts depending on, like, I, and by sometimes I mean like rarely. Uh, sometimes we'll get like the PAL box arts, um, uh, because uh, I think it's Ubisoft who actually gives us the PAL artworks for some of the games. Maybe. Because Ubisoft obviously is a France company. But in the early 2000s or late 90s, they got in a tax trouble with the French government and they said, fuck you guys, we're going to move to Montreal. (laughs) (laughs) So their their head office is technically in Montreal now uh, because of tax reasons. But so I know that they would release the PAL games, which are the France games to Canada because of that reason. There's also a couple of fun things like Eternal Darkness, which is made by Silicon Knights, a, a, a Canadian company. Uh, it has a developed in Canada patch on the Canadian copy. Yeah. Uh, as far as we know, again, speculating, but as far as we know through Reddit and other <laughs> platforms, we couldn't find anything uh, saying that there is another um, uh, copy, uh, or another game that has the developed in Canada uh, logo on it. So yeah. I guess that's another fun one, but they don't, they don't, they don't change anything game. else like controls or there's no language no. differences. They have the, only in uh, only for and seulement about uh, for, for uh, like the French version on yeah. there on the little corner. Is your uh, game ESRB the same as uh, yep. the US like yep. KATM all yep. that stuff? Yeah, PAL is a Amer- yeah. PAL is in the UK and Australia, but yeah, we get the same ETM uh, adult only occasionally. But uh, yeah, it's the same. Yeah, weird system. because our movies our movie ratings are different than the states, yeah. which I always found weird. Yeah, what are your movie you ratings? Have- well, you guys have PG thirteen, right? That's like step below R, yeah. Yeah, so we have fourteen A, and we had do we have eighteen A too? And we also have eighteen A, yeah. and then R, which I never understood the difference. We used to sneak R movies all the time when we were kids, anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. That's cl- I mean, look, you buy a you buy a ticket for this movie, go to that movie yeah. once you get past yeah, exactly. the guy. Yeah, yeah. Bada bing, bada boom, man, no problem. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, exactly. in video games, though, I don't think there's a huge difference. We get all the same games. I think we get the exact same games for the most part, and then we just have to yes. deal with inflation. Because all of your guys' games, new is still 60, right? 60, yeah. Yeah, we pay seventy nine ninety nine plus tax for new games. 
So it ends up being it ends up being ninety dollars and thirty nine cents, I think, for a new game. Damn, dude, you guys that's like thirty dollars more. Yeah. Basically, yeah. 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 And we have higher taxes too, right? So Yeah, we have thirteen percent sales tax. So mm-hmm. yeah. You have fourteen percent sales and then you have income tax too, right? Yeah. Yep. Yes. Oh yeah. We got we get lots of taxes, but we get free healthcare, so <laughs> I'll take it. I don't mind. <laughs> Seems like you guys I don't yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't know shit for fuck when it comes to politics. I'm the last person that should ever discuss anything about running a country. We we try to not talk about politics on the podcast if whenever possible. <laughs> yeah, but I know people like to argue about that subject. Yeah, and and I mean the nice thing with Canada is that like cuz health free healthcare has been around since the the late 50s. There's never been an argument about people being like we shouldn't have free healthcare. No. So Really? That's, that's like, is it? No. Is it like you, basically everyone's like, "This is awesome." Yeah, because it's it's just it's just being in like ingrained in the culture. Oh, so there's, like, yeah. There's, it's standard really fare no now. Way, like, yeah. If anyone were to argue it, you'd just be like, "What? What? Yeah. Why? Yeah. It's just nice to go to a doctor's <laughs> office and walk out with no bill. Like I don't know. It's just yeah. It's, it's obviously different in the states because it's oh my god, it's such and, a hot topic in the states. <laughs> Yes. Jesus. Which it's is like ugh. it's nice when you do things early, then it's like, okay, like let's just worry about this <laughs> yeah. the line. Yeah. Yeah, dude, we pay you guys pay more in taxes. We pay re it is ridiculous what we pay for healthcare. Yeah, it's my all, my mom's yeah. family is in California, so I I I know the uh the stories. I paid with after insurance, I paid fifteen thousand for my last kid. Wow. That's, to have yeah. a child. I, I'm still American paying that. Well, there's so there's a there's a there's a scene in the office um, uh, when Pam has her I think second kid or something, and she comes back from like maternity leave, and it's like yeah, well, like I had twelve weeks off, and I was like, oh, I think she she like made a like a, like they think they messed up, like I think she meant months, and my girlfriend's like, no, no, that's weeks. What do you mean weeks? She's like, yeah, in the U.S. they get twelve weeks. I was like, are you kidding? Twelve weeks? We get, that's we it. Get, we get twelve to eighteen months. We, yeah, we get at least. 12 months yeah. yeah and and uh the 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 you can do you can split it between the dad and the mom as well dude i uh i mean, work for myself now but my last my second child i was uh an account manager at a marketing agency and we had like someone quit prior before and me and my boss who were over me it wasn't his fault either we both had kids within a week of each other so it's kind of a special situation and there was only we were like handling all the clients so i did like i worked i was working in the room while we were giving birth like up and like there was no time off like zero time yeah. off like it just what, what do you i would lose my job because they were like yeah, yeah you got to do your shit's got to get done we don't care at the end of the day, it's just got to get done. Mm-hmm. Yep, of course. It's, yep. it's actually kind of funny when elections roll See. around for us, what they talk about. Because like the last election or just political issues, when there's no COVID, the issue, I remember <laughs> last year, I think it was, they were there was a huge problem about whether or not they should teach like sex ed in school. And that was the hot topic was like, how do we teach kids how to have sex? And that was the biggest problem in the country for a while. <laughs> or at least in <laughs> no our one of you guys are big. so nice. Right? Like, th- like there's not <laughs> enough issues to go around that like, Obviously, we, we have environmental issues and we have issues with housing and, and not enough people getting food to eat and water to drink. But for some reason, the main topic was just how do we teach kids how to have sex? <laughs> yeah, we, we've we've had a, I mean, decent luck of, of like, I guess our partisan issues are usually like this far apart. Where in the U.S., like, the issues are this far apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it can't even fit on the screen. Dude, they're so far apart. I'm like, man, 
I think we're going to like split into some states or some shit. I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's crazy. Scary. Like you know, family members hate each other. Like this commonplace now. Know. It's crazy. Yeah. We have our own problems for sure. Alberta, which is like the Texas of, um, of Canada. They, <laughs> they, 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 they don't, they don't like us. So. And they're, Quebec's they're always trying like, to leave too. Quebec's always trying to. Split. Oh yeah, Quebec's always trying to leave. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow, yeah. they are your Texas. Quebec, That's hilarious. Yeah, Quebec's the other Texas. Yeah. yeah they... <laughs> well, so I, I mean, I don't want to offend people on the podcast, but I'm going to do my Texas accent. So <laughs> when uh, my dad used to go to Texas, Dallas, and Fort Worth a lot for work, and one time, I guess he uh, was working with a client, and the client comes to him and says, like, "Oh, you're from Canada." Well, we love Canada down here. We love Quebec because uh, Quebec, you know, that they tried to leave Canada and we're going up there, there to Quebec and we're going to learn how they tried to leave. And they got really close and maybe we can do it, too. Yeah, if anyone's going to do it, it's Texas. Texas is, yeah, they're wild, but they're... Uh, For us, it's Quebec, called, too. Quebec, too. See, at least Quebec has the, the, the thing where they have a different language. Like, they're already like, you know, Mike, it's, we got a different it's language. It's awkward, though, because we have the maritime provinces on the other side. So if they wanted to come over to Ontario, they'd have to drive <laughs> yeah. through this other country to get to the rest of Canada. It's like, they'd be like, they'd be like our Alaska at that point. Yeah. They, they almost, yeah, they almost seceded. It was, uh, in 95, it was 51 to 49. Mm -hmm. So it was very close. But video games, man. <laughs> In your research, I liked how you talked about Super Monkey Ball uh, being used by surgeons, like a really random fact. Is anything like, have you done any research on like how the GameCube came to be? Like, or, or, or cool facts about the GameCube that you have found during the podcast that people might not know about? about Either the, games you know the GameCube or... GameCube is actually not a cube. <laughs> It's got the top little round part, right? Yeah, it's it's technically not a full cube. Neil, do you remember the dimensions? No, but it's a rectangular <laughs> prism. It's actually not a cube. It's a yes. square on top. And then, yeah, it's not a perfect it just starts cube. Stupid it, it, that's a stupid fact. Do you mean like yeah. on the console like, in no, general? No, no, that's not. They called it the GameCube, and it's not a cube. <laughs> well, with, with the Game Boy Advance adapter, it's technically a cube. I usually have a GameCube in my room to show, but I don't. Um, <laughs> no. I, uh, um, yeah, we, we have a lot of you know, we try and do as many fun facts as we can um, about the cube and just about uh, uh, games for it. Um, one of our favorites that we learned recently was uh, in Resident Evil. So the original Resident Evil. So not necessarily the GameCube game, but the director's cut. Uh, it was the all the composition was done by a um, uh, by an apparently deaf composer, and uh, he did. Uh, he did music for the Olympic Games in 98 in Nagano, and uh, he's like supposed to be like this the Japanese Beethoven. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he uh, came out in 2014 saying that he is actually not deaf and he actually got someone to ghostwrite all of his compositions. So all the score for Resident Evil was actually uh, not done by him. It was done by a ghostwriter and he wasn't even deaf. <laughs> So, wow! So, Why would did he get like did he like someone find out and he had to like proactively own it? Yeah. So so, uh, I guess a guy, uh, this Japanese newspaper was doing a you know an article for, uh, on him and they were gonna like it was part of a documentary, and because obviously this guy is like incredible, mm -hmm. you know, he's had all these accolades, and so the the journalist went to interview him, and he was doing a lot of like strange things like. He would like when noises happen. Sometimes he'd do a quick look, and then other times he wouldn't. Mm. Um, and and when he would ask him about his music and about his composition process, 
it changed every time he asked them, and it just kind of got further and further that the journalist took it on himself to be like, okay, I'm going to do some more digging here. And I guess, you know, long story short, he found out this, he found this ghostwriter who'd been writing a lot of his stuff. And then uh, the guy kind of admitted that most of his stuff had been ghostwritten. And then right after that, he admitted that he is actually just hearing impaired. He's not fully deaf. Um, and so that just kind of put another layer to the crazy story. Yeah. It's, it's just random small stuff like that, that we keep uncovering. And we, we have on our Instagram page, we like to post three times a week. We uh, advertise the episode. We like to do a collection post. And then we also do our little, did you know facts as well? Try to just summarize one funny thing that we found in that episode and try and sort of just capture it, put it in words, put an image next to it. And then hopefully somebody learns something new that didn't necessarily listen to the episode. And yeah, like a good one for Final Fantasy for Crystal Chronicles. Uh, so Square developed Crystal Chronicles, uh, even though they were also de- developing the mainline Final Fantasy uh, games because they needed money. And so there was an agreement with Sony that uh, they could make Crystal Chronicles only for the GameCube as long as it didn't impact Final Fantasy sales on the PS2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, How do you so, define yeah, so. not impact sales of the PS? Is like, like that's they why they had to make... Didn't... They had to make it like that cutesy multiplayer style, like a totally different style of game. Yep. Yes. Okay. Like they couldn't literally make a Final Fantasy nine or eight on GameCube and then sell it yeah, as they had to a make port. something quite they different. They had to make it completely different, completely different from the story, a spin-off. And it didn't obviously impact the sales of Final Fantasy games, but that's why there hasn't been a mainline Final Fantasy, you know, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. It never comes on, on Nintendo consoles. We always get spin-offs like Tactics mm. and then uh, Kingdom Hearts games appear on Nintendo consoles, so Square Enix have to kind but of like the, the yeah the, the mainline spin-offs. Square Enix games like Final Fantasy 15 never comes out on Nintendo consoles for that reason. Yep. So because Sony owns a large portion of Square Enix, I think they still do. In the 90s, they bought 19% of the company's shares, so they have a large controlling stock. Well, I did not Square know Enix that. Yeah, I should yeah. know that. <laughs> Damn yeah, it! No, you do. They yeah. might have more. They might have less now. But uh, again, we're stuck in the 2000s, so who knows at this point. They still have a controlling st- uh, at stock. At one point, they had 19%. Yeah. At one point, they did, yeah, and that's why Square Enix was hammered. Which is enough to say stuff. Yeah, Square Enix, was in tr- Square Enix has been in trouble a bunch of times financially. <laughs> um, that's why Final Fantasy was supposed to be their last game. But they made that Final Fantasy movie, what, Spirits Within? Yeah, and that movie yeah, cost them millions. Movie bombed, so they had to start to they had to start to play in Nintendo's backyard again and make games for Nintendo, which they did on the NES and the Super NES, and those games are great. And yeah, that's our favorite game to play is how many times has Square almost gone bankrupt? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but Final Fantasy VII was in the same spot too. It saved them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So it, it's, <laughs> it's just weird random facts like that. My, Mike, Mike's way better at remembering things. I have a terrible memory. Like after we record a podcast, I forget everything we learn. It's so bad. But yeah, it's fun to learn a, one thing an episode like that. The GameCube's not a cube is probably the best one so far. That, I mean, it was originally called the Dolphin, which is why there's the Dolphin emulator. Ah, uh, I didn't know that. That's why they call it Dolphin. Yeah. Yep. That makes there total sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. And like in Super yeah, Mario it Sunshine, it's Isle Delfino, which is like Isle Dolphin, and the, the island's in the shape of a dolphin, so it's all it's all connected. I wonder why they changed it. I actually think Dolphin's cooler than GameCube. Yeah, uh, I think GameCube at the time... He's like, you know, nah. if, if you're thinking of early <laughs> 2000s, that's a edgy title. Yeah. GameCube. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... Yeah. That <laughs> uh, I mean, the Wii was supposed to be called The Revolution. Yeah. Which would have been pretty sweet. And then the Nintendo Revolution. And then the Wii U was Project Cafe. 
and then like Switch was NX. Switch was NX for the longest time. So yeah, but but you knew that was never going right. to be the, all, all consoles the name. have yeah. have code names. Their code name. In, yeah, yeah, when they're in development, yeah, they all have it. And I don't know why Sony bought. Sony even makes code names for their consoles when everybody knows they're just going to come out with the PlayStation Five. What could it be? Yeah, they're just going to change that. Number. And then meanwhile, Xbox's code names are. Are actually like better legible. than what they freaking <laughs> yes. Oh man, can you imagine being being a parent and having your kid ask you for an Xbox? If you're going to the store and you're like, "Oh, what Xboxes are there?" Well, we have the Xbox One, we have the Xbox One X, we have the Xbox One S, we have the Xbox Series X. Okay, which one's cheaper? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking kind of what uh, Neil said at the beginning, like your parents didn't necessarily know Halo wasn't on other consoles. They're just like, I, I thought I didn't, we didn't mention them. Like, I wonder how many consoles were purchased just because the parents were like, ah, that one, like, yeah. like whatever. Right. And that, how much that influences console sales. But right now <laughs> I can see that happening. Yeah. Uh, parents now about, I get confused with the Xbox like naming yeah. conventions, I One, I don't know which ones are in which order. Once you get past like it's, I know it's Xbox. Well, one OG one, I guess. Yeah. Xbox yeah. original one. The original Xbox. Then three, is what they call it. They call it original <laughs> Xbox. Which is what we called it back in early two thousand. Was hey, do you want to go play Halo on my original Xbox? <laughs> <laughs> and then Apple three hundred and sixty. I actually don't. It's one, right? Yeah, Xbox mm-hmm. One, and then Xbox One S, and then X. No. See? Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly, yes. Okay. And now it's the Xbox Series One. Well, because, series because X. the problem is Series X. A series X. Yeah. Because the problem is is that they they went Xbox One and then they the PS4 came out with like their PS4 Slim and PS4 Pro. And so the S is like the slim version and then like the, the X is like the Pro version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and- you know, the Slim and Pro, I know exactly what that means. Maybe you should just do that. <laughs> It's so funny though, like even just with games too, like one of my favorite stories was the year that Mario Kart came out on Switch, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. One of the highest selling games on Amazon that month, that Christmas, was Mario Kart Wii. Because parents were (laughs) (laughs) Because parents were just they didn't know, right? Or grandparents. They just probably typed in Mario Kart and the Wii version came up, not the Switch one. So Mario Kart Wii was one of the highest selling games that month because of confusion. So many poor kids. God damn it, I can't play this. (laughs) And I I worked in E B games for a couple months there, like just haul it seasonally just for fun and it was so bad how this was when the wii u was out just how much confusion there was around the wii u and even ps4 like parents complaining that they just bought a ps3 for their kids and i was like well that console's been dead for 10 years i don't know what to tell you yeah oh you should you gotta you gotta tell them your your my favorite story okay. about you working at GameStop. okay so the best story was this was the year that did you ever play the tomb raider games like rise of tomb raider Okay, so the new the new games, Rise of Tomb Raider, are fantastic. But my favorite story was this guy came into our store and he's like, "I want to get that new Tom Brady game." And and we were just like, "Oh, Madden, like Madden seventeen or whatever it was." And he's like, "No, no, no, it's not. It's not a football game. It's like, or it's not. It's not Madden. It, it's called Tom Brady." And we were like, "Sir, we've been playing video games for twenty years. There's no game called Tom Brady." And he's like, "It's the one about the girl on a mountain." And we were like, Tomb Raider? <laughs> and like, so for the rest of that holiday, we were like the rise of Tom Brady. <laughs> Dude, I worked joke. at a GameStop too for a while. I don't know if you worked at GameStop or yeah, video EB, GameStop. EB Games in Canada. Yeah, I worked there just for, I was between jobs for a bit. So I worked seasonally from like November through Christmas. Just 
It was a fun. Game. I did the same thing for Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah. I worked there. Yeah. The time to do it. It's and fun. I freaking, it's fun. I got myself a Wii, and I definitely took some cash on the side to pop some people up on the priority list for the Wii. I was slinging <laughs> I get, and banging, I get that yeah, baby. <laughs> I did it for I did it for two people. I, I hooked yeah, two people. Yeah, you also up. didn't. You, you also, also had the Wii U coming out deal. Not, no, uh, no, I worked. Not the I Wii. was in a really dark time. Well, it wasn't a dark time. I think the only launches. It was like 2014, 2015. It was 2016. I worked. I think the only launches we had were Watch Dogs Two and Final Fantasy Fifteen. So like, it wasn't. It wasn't the most exciting time to work in an EB Games, but it was still fun. But, yeah. So, anyway. Um, Kate, I thought I would ask you just one simple question to do with games. What's your favorite video game of all time? Oh my god, that's a loaded question. It's not. It's, an e- it's a simple question. You should. It's, everybody has an answer ready, usually. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It depends on... No, like, you can't. Like, look, I, I have two kids. I don't know if you guys have kids. I, nope. I love them, but I love them different. Like they're Neil's different. The relationships, <laughs> relationships. It's like, then that's that way with. I love a lot of games, and there's there's probably only a handful of games that would be even in consideration. Okay. But it really just depends on like the day you catch me. I'm I'm, I'm catching yep. you on today. I'm not going to date your podcast I, in case I don't. And, I, do and I guess we're we're looking for not your like favorite game of all time, but we're looking for a game that you you know you could go back to at any point that Ooh. you would love to play any day of the week. You That's way different. Games that I can still play. And why isn't Mary yes. Kate and Ashley Magical Mystery Mall? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, are you psychic? Damn it. <laughs> well, my secret's out. <laughs> I would. God damn. It's hard, right? Going one that I can still play. Okay, that makes it easy. But by specifying yeah. your definition of I can pick up and still play all the way through Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Nice. Good choice. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's I can play through that. The twists halfway through, man. That castle flips upside down. You got a yes. whole new game to play. Yeah. yeah, that was for me. That was uh, yeah, that was a twist that because uh, I beat it. I didn't have. I mean, we had the internet. I, I think I might have like had access to, to the internet like as school or something. Um, at the t- isn't it weird to be able to talk about that? Like, I think I had the internet. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I do remember. I found out that there was a second. I beat it right and I, mm-hmm. the wrong way. I beat it the wrong way, and then I went to my friend's house, and he's like, "Did you get the sunglasses, bro? Whatever they're called, the holy glasses." Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, what are you yeah. talking about? And then he like showed me, and I'm like wait what <laughs> there's a whole nother hat ha- wait i like ran back home and then yeah did it It was like i cannot believe i missed half this game you never would have known <laughs> if you didn't ask a friend which is just that time yeah. that time of games pre-internet pre-youtube pre-ign and all those outlets where you could know everything about a game before it even came out yeah for me i would say for the longest time it was super mario world on uh, and any SNES, um, that was my favorite game of all time. But then Breath of the Wild on Switch came out, and that was that's now my favorite game, The Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild. I have I logged over two hundred hours on it in just a few months. Beat it. I then, lo- I know to- a lot of guys like that. That Breath of the Wild got them in a way where they've never had a game catch on like that before. It was I wasn't expecting it at all. It I was addicted no. to it. I was playing it every minute I could. I was trying to get every. Every leaf or seed or whatever it was to collect. Korok. And, and I thought you get like poop Koroks. as your reward or something. Yeah, if you got like all a total 90, troll. 999 of them, you got like a golden poop. Yeah, <laughs> golden poop. <laughs> it That's was completely bold. not worth Props it. Props There was just so much to uncover, and I had not really played too many large open world games before. So when you're just exploring this mountain and then you turn a corner and there's just a dragon chilling there, I had never seen nothing like that had ever happened to me before. I was just being surprised at every corner. And you'd see something in the distance, and you'd go to it, and then there'd be this whole new village that you hadn't seen, even though you were 150 hours in. So that was my that 
that's the game that I go to now for my favorite game of all time. I, I remember when I first played that, all I could think of was like every kid who plays this as their first Zelda game is never going to want to go back to anything else. Zelda. Yeah. It's because it just, I mean, obviously I love almost all the Zelda games, but this game just completely changed the way that a franchise can operate. Mm -hmm. And so it's, yeah, it's not my favorite game of all time. Uh, mine actually uh, is Deus Ex Human Revolution, which is probably a strange yes. pick. No, no, no. That's a, uh, so yeah, I'm glad you picked that. I'm like sci-fi and mechs are like like Christ's blood and wine, whatever the church. Like I love, I forget what it's called, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Human Revolution, I was really let down by Mankind Divided, but oh, Human so Revolution was game changer for me. I loved that game. Yeah. yeah, it was. I played it in first year of university when it came out, and I took like a media like media studies and uh like uh psychologically a uh, psycholo psychology and like all of those kind of like that culture I guess and so we talked a lot about uh hum like posthumanism transhumanism all this kind of stuff and so when I started playing Deus Ex I'm like oh my god it dovetailed yeah it dovetailed <laughs> right with where you were at. Yeah, yeah God, and, that game's and good. That was when I had just started getting back into video games. I took probably about like a five, like high school. I basically didn't really play games at all, mm. other than maybe Smash Bros. and you know, party games, but nothing crazy. Um, and when I went to university, I was living with a house of five guys, and someone had a PS3, and um, someone had Human Revolution. I was like, oh my God, what is this? And I played that. Mm -hmm. I'd say at least. 20 times I've played that story. I, do, I am. Damn. That's like, you're bringing back all these memories. I kind of, I had Mankind Divided kind of like, I had forgotten. I'm like, oh, Deus Ex sucks because I keep thinking about Mankind <laughs> Divided. But Human Revolution, um, the story, like the twists, the only yeah. thing I didn't like, what you can fix on the PC, is the gold filter. You can mm. like mod that oh, yeah. like gold color scheme filter thing out. And there's actually a lot of, I, I replayed it again the third time with a bunch of mods. And it was, uh, they came out with like a, like, like the equivalent of an anniversary edition. I forget what the, what the, the naming convention was. It's like, yeah, it was, uh, like ultimate edition or something. Director's cut. Director's cut. Yes. Mm. Yeah. The director's cut has a, a really like a really robust modding community for the PC. And so you can, yeah. You can basically make that game almost semi next gen. So I, I played through it again like a two years ago, a year ago, mm -hmm. year and a half ago. I want to be that. What's his name? Is his name Alex or the main guy? Adam Jensen. Adam. Only thing I used to think his sunglasses were cool. Like the the. But now I kind of <laughs> yeah. think they're cheesy. But yeah, he looks a little a like maybe he listens to like Disturbed. And drinks Monster Energy <laughs> he's a, drink. He's a big new metal fan. Yeah, yeah sure. he's a big new metal fan. He's driving a Limp Biscuit on his way home from work. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, here's another fun uh, GameCube fact. So Disney has a lot of exclusive games on the GameCube. Uh, Disney Extreme Skateboarding for the GameCube, exclusive for the GameCube, uh, has a new metal Disney soundtrack. Wait, is that satire? <laughs> so it's, it's hard. It's hard to describe, but it's like think of like a Disney soundtrack, and then just like new metal, like it basically. It's not like Disney songs that are made into new metal. Oh, but it's just okay. like a happy new metal yeah. soundtrack. It's not Disney it's happy tracks. New metal. I, I thought they were like Disney remixes done no, new metal would be, style. That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I think this game uses the Tony Hawk engine too. 
there's one of the Disney snow uh, skateboarding games that yeah uses... we we get them mixed up yeah I don't think we've the, covered this game yeah. yet but we covered it by accident in one of our episodes wait is it this one or is it the normal skateboarding one that had been that has the, the new metal oh my god I'm watching I'm just watching <laughs> I think this is the right it actually one. Looks, yeah, it looks it, pretty good a, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it looks, looks good. good. It's um, I think this one is actually like a decent game. Yeah. Um, the other one is like an almost unplayable. Yeah, there's Disney Sports Skateboarding and there's like a D- Disney Extreme Skateboarding, which... Yeah, sure. obviously, we would get mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing, is like you think about the, the, you think about these games and like going back to them will be tough, but then every time we look up a game that we've never heard of, our response is always, this game looks good. Like, it's just... Like we were watching yeah, a lot of times. We were yeah. watching a gameplay of Curious George on GameCube and Mike was like, I'm gonna buy this game. <laughs> like it just it looked fun. No, that game looks sick. It looked like Donkey Kong that 64. Game really good. Yeah. So Yeah. Was yeah, there never a, know. Yeah, yeah. Was there a Donkey Kong on GameCube? I don't think there was. There, there's, there's the, the Donkey, Donkey Kongas. So oh, there was the yeah, ones the where you actually game. had the um the beats. And there was supposed to be Donkey Kong racing for the GameCube. Uh, but that got cancelled when Rare got bought by Microsoft. There was Donkey Kong Jungle Beat, which is the closest thing to like a Donkey Kong Country game on GameCube, which was the game with the bongos that you had to hit the bongos to move and to jump, and you clapped, and that was your attack. But we never got like a Donkey Kong Country game until the uh, Donkey Kong Country Returns on Wii. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we had two rhythm games on GameCube, sort of like that Guitar Hero phase where everyone was making rhythm games. They made a Donkey Kong rhythm game where you played like Weird songs too, like Mighty Mighty Bostones, I think Boston's was on there, and, on there and <laughs> like weird pop punk weird bands pop like Some Forty One or Good Charlotte is on every album. Every game. We find this is some Canadian content. A little yeah, good old Canadian punk band, but yeah, Good Charlotte's anthem was on every single game in the two thousands for some reason. But yeah, there so there were three Donkey Kong official games on GameCube. Was there? Did you play uh, the like that third person Star Fox Adventures? I think. Yeah. You guys played that. Yep. I've always curious about that game because I like Star Fox on the sixty four a lot. So you and would not Nintendo. like Star Fox Adventures. Star Fox Adventures. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's so a third it's person game, right? N- yeah. Yeah, yeah, Neil, Neil always hated that. that game, and when we did our episode on it, uh, he actually kind of came around a bit because he realized that it's not a good Star Fox game, but it's a good game. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Like, What's I'm good like, about it? I'm like, so it's just so a good just adventure a good game. Adventure so if you're into so a game that's just... It looks... It's, it's probably the best looking game on the game. If game. it was just called Adventures, it would be fine. Um, it's a great <laughs> game if you're just looking for to collect gems and to do comp- or repetitive combat and to have a really weird, cheesy story with talking dinosaurs and to explore jungles. But if you're hoping for a game... Oh, and Andros is wedged in at the end. But if you're, oh, yeah. if you're looking for a game that's on rails where you're, you're Fox and you're helping Slippy get out of trouble and you're, you're Falco's, ta- Falco's not even in the game. Uh, if you're talking to Falco going through an asteroid belt, it's not the game. So you'd probably be looking more at Star Fox Assault on GameCube, which is a bit more like a traditional Star Fox 64 style game. Star Fox is one of those ga- games franchises that I could talk about for hours and only talk about the N64 game. <laughs> It's I mean, just, I'm only aware of really the the Super Nintendo. Although the the Star Fox Two on the SNES Classic yep. was sort of released, I haven't played it. I need mm. to try it because I liked the original. But the '64 one for me, when I got the first time I got in that tank, oh my god, I'm so in a giant fun. tank! Hell yeah. yeah, sign me up. Yeah, no, every every level in that game is so much fun, and and the bosses are great. That the dialogue is so good, and it still looks good today. Like there's so few N64 games that look good still, and Star Fox is probably the one that still just looks fantastic. Yep. Yeah, the tank levels were great. You could hover. 
Do barrel rolls. Oh, such a good game. <laughs> Do a barrel But no, Star Fox Adventures is not a good Star Fox game. There was, oh, I'm thinking of Jet Force Gemini. That's a 64 game. Was there ever any follow-up to Jet Force Gemini? No. I don't think no. there was. No. No. That's made by Rare that's as well, though. So. That's a Rare game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's the, the thing, thing is that, that all, of, all of Rare's projects kind of got cancelled when, um, when they got bought by Microsoft. Yeah. They, make, they make Sea of Thieves now on, on Xbox, and they make uh, Xbox avatars. It's kind of what they do. Didn't they make, didn't they make uh, the Killer Instinct, the new one? Uh, I don't know if they made the new one. They made the original one, for sure. But they, uh, maybe they didn't know. develop the new one. We're I think not, Microsoft does own the IP, though. Yeah, Microsoft yeah. definitely owns the IP. We're not as big on the Microsoft franchises just because we never really owned Xboxes growing up. I bought an Xbox One because of Rare Replay. That, that oh, pack, wow. That pack that came <laughs> with 30 <laughs> Rare games. You and, he sold and I sold my Xbox One, but I still have <laughs> Rare Replay. <laughs> so, yeah, just to play Conker's Bad Fur Day, Banjo-Kazooie, Banjo-Tooie. Banjo-Tooie. Battletoads. Have you beaten Conqueror's Bad Fur Day? I booted it up once to just try it out of curiosity, but I, I haven't really it. played it. You couldn't beat it? It's very hard. It is. I got to a few of the bosses, like the, the, the iconic ones, like the Great Mighty Pooh, and just to see Conquer on screen. <laughs> so and then I, I went away for a week. I was on vacation, and when I came back, I think Arkham Knight came out, so I just got sidetracked, and I played that instead. Yeah. Yeah, that's a game I've wanted to go back. Like the problem, some retro games, it depends on the style. Like no, with emulators it helps with save states. So you like your trial and error time gets shrunk down because mm-hmm. you don't have to go back as far. Like um so I have worked my way through a few older games and Conquer is one of those ones where just because when I was a kid it had so much press and there was so much yeah. controversy around the game. And obviously, I, I grew up really uh, like in a hyper-religious family, and I was not allowed, definitely not allowed to play Conquer or anything along those lines. <laughs> and uh, so I've always wanted to go back and play it. I booted it up, but it was definitely like, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to, like, it was clunky enough. I'm like, do I really want to play this? Mm-hmm. I want to commit to playing this, but I'm curious about the game because it's Conquer's Bad Fur Day. Yes. It's legend. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of an issue with the N sixty four kind of era. There is that the graphics just are, and like the gameplay for most games in that era are very clunky, and really not smooth at all. Where at least the GameCube, when you go back, you can easily go back to most of the games because they kind of still look like updated and the controls are good and. You also don't need three hands to play uh, <laughs> <laughs> to use a controller. And that's, I think, we haven't even talked about the controller uh, yet. I mean, but I don't know about you, but for us, it's it's our favorite controller of all time. Blasphemy! Blasphemy! It's, so it's such a cool... Is there another, it's such a cool is there another controller out there that's better? I'm confused. The hey, Xbox what, Elite. The, the Xbox, Xbox Elite, bro. Oh, I don't even oh, own that, an that Xbox. Is, that's, that's a good, I don't, that's I've a good, never that's a good owned an Xbox, but they have the best controller. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's that 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 new one is is super, especially because you can customize it. So, but I think I think at the time that his GameCube controller was a, a direct answer to the N sixty four controller, mm-hmm. because most people who had a problem with that system, you know, the the problem was because of the controller, and also those controllers broke constantly. the The joystick was always broken within a week of buying it. It was cheap. It was <laughs> a cheap controller. Very cheap. And so when they developed the GameCube controller, they really focused on making it extremely durable. Um, and they also, because they wanted to get more into mature games, uh, they made the triggers specifically for shooters uh, so that you could actually, you know, uh, 
wrap your finger around it really nicely. Uh, and it was the first ever um, analog trigger as well, in that sense, because you could actually change, you know, for a lot of games, depending on how hard you pressed it, uh, that would change what was going on, you know, like for Sunshine, for example, right? Um, so, yeah, that controller is so interesting, especially having the massive A, the small B, uh, the Y and X on the Y and X axes. Yeah. yeah. I guess the sense. only reason I the only reason I would say it's not the goat. I do like the controller a lot, especially the form factor. Um, and mm -hmm. my now I'm a little biased because the only time I've spent extensively, and it, it is a lot of hours, is playing Smash. Even on modern yeah. Smash, the newest Smash, I get the adapter and I play on the GameCube controller because it's the best way to play Smash. So for Smash, yeah. like I can't imagine playing on anything but a GameCube controller. That's the best way to play Smash. By far, oh, yeah. oh, without a doubt. Yeah, the 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 Switch Pro controller has done a pretty good job, uh, trying to emulate the you know the success that the GameCube controller had. But I've toyed cool. with it. I have this guy. I have the for my Switch. It's the eight bit though. It's like a third party. It kind of looks like a Super Nintendo one. Okay. It's really just oh, yeah. like a PS4, but it's compatible with Switch. Mm -hmm. You you mm -hmm. can play Smash on it, but it's just not. Anything same. that's not the GameCube yeah. controller, just not the not the same. Yeah, no, they've they it's one of the that's another reason why the GameCube is is cool is that it's it's hung in its DNA is still in every console since the GameCube came out where the, you could play Smash Bros with a GameCube controller on Wii, and then they had to figure out a way since they lost the GameCube ports on Wii U, they had to release this uh, Smash Bros was an adapter through USB that you'd hook up to your Wii U. And then you could attach four GameCube controllers to play Smash Bros. Uh, on Wii U. And now they made that adapter compatible on the Switch. So you can, it's only for Smash. Like, that's the only reason. Yep. And you can toy around with playing uh, other games with a GameCube controller on, on Switch. Like, if you want to play Breath of the Wild or Mario Odyssey, you can. I, I play I play with the GameCube <laughs> controllers sometimes. But I didn't actually know that. I thought yeah. it was only yeah. compatible for Smash. Uh, no, you uh, can use it for no, any for, other game. for the Switch... Yeah, for the Switch, they 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 didn't they didn't announce anything. They just let it happen mm. uh, because Nintendo has a really weird thing where they they hate their history, so they don't like bringing up anything of the past. And so when they're forced to, it's really funny because like for the the um, the GameCube controller, obviously they when they had to do it for the Switch, they don't even call it like a GameCube adapter. They call it a Super Smash Bros. Um, adapter. Yeah. They won't even they won't even use their own trademark. No. And they don't even make they don't even make the controllers anymore either. They made them for a short while where you could buy a legitimate GameCube controller that would work on GameCube too. They made those in 2014 and 15 briefly. Now those controllers are really expensive because they're slightly longer they're slightly longer cables and and now they don't make them anymore, but they just have this adapter that came out and everyone needs controllers to hook them up to, but they don't like, I still have my original GameCube controllers. But imagine if you bought an Xbox Series X or whatever it is that's coming out in this month in November, and they said, yeah, yeah, you can play with the new Xbox Elite controller, or if you want, you can hook up your original Xbox controller to play Blinks the Time Cat on your Xbox One X. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> like, oh, no, what a no, great, <laughs> dude, great reference. You dude. went deep on that one. Oh, yeah, Blinks is <laughs> I mean, how many people even know what Blinks is? <laughs> Jesus Us Christ. Us yeah. Three. But yeah. no other video game company is saying, like, yeah, well, you can hook up your console, your controller from 20 years ago to play if you want. Like, they. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the my favorite story about uh, Nintendo at Evo uh, in, I think it was 2015. 
uh, or 2014, it was when Smash 4 came out. And, you know, EVO, obviously, the big fighting uh, tournament that happens every year. Uh, and Smash, uh, like, Melee is often center stage, or it's one of the stages. It's usually a big event. And Nintendo begged them, basically. They're like, hey, we have a new game. Oh, That's out. I do That's... remember reading some press about this. There was controversy. <laughs> they wanted to push yeah, Melee cause... to the side. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah and they're like, like we, we have this new game. Why don't you play this instead of this 14-year-old game? And they're like, mm, no, I don't think so. And and Nintendo's like, no, no, okay. No, you are playing this game. That's like that's it. You're not playing Melee anymore. Like, stop it. And yeah, there was a big controversy about it, and they eventually Nintendo eventually relented. But I just think that's so funny. The fact <laughs> that they even tried. Like, do you, Yeah. Like, you could... It is a weird... Like, I want some speculation since you guys are, you know, way deeper Nintendo heads than I am. Where does that... Because Nintendo could embrace that and probably actually raise their bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. what... Where is the disconnect? Because obviously they want to make money. Like, why do they think that that's going to make them more money in the long... Or, like, why are they choosing to, to act that way? So... Nintendo's core belief is that it is not a gaming company. It is an innovation company. And that's, that's what separates them from, I guess, the other competitors. And that's why they look at their history different than everyone else. Because for them to go back to different you know, games or different catalogs and, and older controllers, that's seen as something going against their, their core belief of innovation. Mm-hmm. For them, every new console should be a complete do-over. It's a whole new clean slate. Um, and so it's kind of a... It's just kind of how they're organized and how they think. It's also very much a Japanese way of doing things. Uh, you know, definitely not... A, like, the North American way is definitely rehash. You know, just just use what you already have. Mm-hmm. And, and, and find out a way to make your bottom line and, like, get that profit up. And the Japanese culture is quite different, uh, as we saw with Sega America and Sega Japan. Basically, them fighting brought Sega down completely. Mm-hmm. So, it's, yeah, it, that's probably the best way I could explain it. Neil, do you have anything for that? Yeah, I mean, that's probably, you, you pretty much summed it up very well. Um, I don't know why there hasn't been a Melee remake, remaster just to come out. The other thing is that the game is inherently broken. So, if there are other games that I'm sure Nintendo fans would love to see remade. Like every time there's a new game coming out on Switch, you just see Earthbound 2 or Mother 3 coming out. Like everybody <laughs> just wants Mother 3 Earthbound 2 to come out, but Nintendo refuses to release it. So there's just all these random games in Nintendo's catalog that has a lot of hype, but I don't know if it would do as well just because it seems like the majority of people want it, it would do well. And I'm sure that they've looked at doing things like Melee remasters or remakes. But yeah, Melee is actually a broken game, and the way that it works is because people have found out a way to exploit those those uh, those issues glitches, with the glitches yeah. in the game. So if they did make it again and put it out on a disc or on a cartridge, um, it might not be right, and I think that that's a huge issue as well. And yeah, just it, they're a company that don't want to rehash anything. They, they're okay with going back and occasionally porting games, but like what we're seeing right now with the ports of Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, and Mario Odyssey in Super Mario 3D All-Stars is that those games are going to be removed from the digital shelves in March. So like you can't even you won't even be able to buy the game anymore in a few months. The biggest Nintendoism I've ever heard. These games have been these games are 25 years old. They're among the, the most most <laughs> talked about Nintendo games ever. Everyone who's a Nintendo fan owns these three games. 
and they released them in September. It's the highest selling game of the month, and they're just gonna not sell it anymore in a few months. Which is, if 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 our podcast was making thousands of dollars a day, and if Mike and I said, you know what, we're gonna retire tomorrow, that's it. We'd have to be insane to say that. So it's just a backwards way of thinking. Maybe they'll come back, go back on their what they've said about the game, but it's just these weird moves that don't make any sense to us as we're outsiders. We're from a completely different culture. We don't have nearly as big a business background and we don't develop video games for a living so there's that but i don't know that's what one of the reasons why we love nintendo so much is just what are they going to do next it's just <laughs> it's almost more fun than playing the games is, is researching how they run <laughs> as a company for me as i get older yeah. i'm more interested in just reading the news of what they're doing what they're doing <laughs> yeah they've definitely done some uh that same business podcast when they were talking about the the PlayStation <clears throat> Nintendo breakdown and the, the public E3 move and all the what she's like what would you call it like corporate shenanigans corporate yeah. espionage good word for it. Good word going for on. It. Um, I guess uh, they they were super anal about uh, manufacturing games as well, and that was like the whole thing. Yeah. I guess in the Sony, the oh I think Cos is the guy that was. Why do I keep getting that name in my head? Anyway. Um, it was like re-looking at the contract right before E3 and there was something about manufacturing that Sony was also going to have rights to manufacturing whatever and just the way they the way they decided to publicly like yeah hey, we're going to roll with it and then at E3 announce that we're our partnerships actually with Philips and not Sony and not even tell Sony that's yes, right um, yeah, yeah. They, they have this history of like just we yeah, have wild decisions I mean the Wii U is a wild decision and then the Switch came and was like actually the Wii U is almost like the switch in utero and yeah. they just didn't yeah. quite figure it out. It doesn't matter beta. though. Switch beta. The switch beta. Yeah. The <laughs> switch beta. <laughs> and I was a Wii U owner. Yep. So when the switch came out and then they just started to pump out all of these remakes or just, they're just putting Wii U games on switch. I started to get a little annoyed because I owned all these, I bought all these Wii U games when they came out. Like we just got Pikmin three. We've had Mario Kart. We've had Captain Toad and Donkey Kong country tropical freeze. And even smash bros is basically a, it's a port, but they're, they're adding DLC to it. It's it's really annoying for someone like me, one of the 12 million people who bought a Wii U, to watch all these games come out again, and then everyone rediscover them, and I'm just sitting here like, yeah, I, I was talking about these games six years ago, but yeah, mm-hmm. that was a weird choice. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I do sympathize. I mean, I, I obviously have a lot of gripe with Nintendo every day sometimes of, of why they, of what they do, but I do sympathize with their methods because for me, I'm the kind of person who would rather have someone give me something completely new and different than trying to create the same thing over and over again and i think that's i mean i'm the kind of guy who likes the uh what's the the star wars last jedi more than the the episode seven because episode seven is exactly the same as the first star wars ever so that that's that's the kind of you know sure you can make something great but unless you make some kind of evolution uh, then you're gonna lose me as a fan. I mean, I every, I know everyone's not like that. I know people, and sometimes even me, like just having the same thing consistently. But it is nice to see a company that does take innovation so seriously and really does like to start from, from ground, ground zero, zero every time they create something new, even if it takes them twenty years. Yeah, years. yeah, and they have flop. I mean, they have flops like the Virtual Boy. Yeah. I remember yeah. playing a Virtual Boy in Toys R Us and being like, that is so badass. My mom wouldn't get me one. We'd have the, like the money, whatever. But I, I think you know, I don't know exactly why that didn't take off. But I remember being completely blown away 
Like, I can't believe yeah. this is a real thing. And I would, similar to what, I think one of you were talking about playing a kiosk while your mom was getting her hair done. Yeah. I had the same thing. <laughs> uh, my mom yeah. would go to, like, uh, Joanne's and, like, get fabric, and Toys R Us was next door. Nice. So, but that's fine. I'm just going to go play kiosk yeah. stuff while you're at the fabric <laughs> store. And uh, I would play the Virtual Boy all the time. And they've always have, like, the recent one is the Nintendo Labo. Have you guys played with that? No. No. The cardboard? It doesn't no, know. but. But but as but, but I feel like, like if I had kids or if I was a kid I would have loved that. It's it's yeah. a cool concept. They're always they are always trying out new things and we forget about the failures like Virtual Boy yeah. and we remember the Switch because the Switch yeah. was a success. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, that's, and like that's the thing is like it's okay to have have failures. Uh, and I think that's and that's also a Japanese kind of method, right? Is that it's okay to have these failures as long as you have success. Where in North American businesses often have a failure, shut everything down. That's it. Like it's a me. So it's it's kind of it's tough because uh, you know we did a whole episode of the Dreamcast, and uh, we think the Dreamcast is one of the most innovative, coolest consoles ever to exist. That very few people got to mm-hmm. play. It's ahead of its time, and even what? Yeah. Oh yeah. We've we've we. I would like to talk about the Dreamcast more, but neither of us own it. We'd love to pick one up sometime when the yeah. stores finally reopen. But Nintendo is also one of these companies that you see with the NES. It was this massive success in the 80s. And then the SNES sold slightly less. The N64 sold slightly less. The GameCube sold slightly less. The Wii was huge jump. And then the Wii U went back down. Now the Switch is going back up. So it is this roller coaster. But meanwhile, they've quietly been, not quietly, but they've just been in the background. Their handheld market, which is what got Mike in, 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 into Nintendo was always, always killing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they kept yeah. pumping out these... First of all, all of their handhelds up until the Switch have been fairly cheap to produce. They're always a few generations behind in hardware. Like, the Game Boy was four shades of green, four AA batteries, but it outsold the Game Gear, which was in full color, backlit, required more batteries, but it just had these fun games that everyone could pick up and play, and it was affordable. You could pick up a Game Boy for $90 with Tetris, one of the best games of all time. And then they just kept on making a better iteration of the Game Boy up until the Switch, which is just this console that you can now take on the go. So even though, yeah, they've, they've, they took a lot of hits with you know the generations like with the, the Virtual Boy and the Wii U, they've always had that market in their, in their hands, other than the iPhones. I mean, the iPhone kind of took a lot of their lunch with Angry Birds or whatever. <laughs> but um, dedicated handheld gaming has always been a Nintendo almost a monopoly, a monopoly. so yeah. almost they, i mean really yeah. intel phones basically i mean yeah the game gear didn't do much the the psp and the vita did a little bit yeah i think yeah. grand scheme compared to d i mean like the nintendo ds is second to ps2 right, right. Mm-hmm. i think yep. it's the second most selling con- yeah yep. so it's yep. a juggernaut mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's just it's it's, it's something that's, that's so accessible to to any kid too especially at the time right so I mean, like now times are changing with having phones, you know, being ubiquitous and every kid having one almost mm. um, who's like that age to play consoles. But it's it kind of warms my heart. Like when I'll take the subway um, when I was going to work before the pandemic, uh, kids would like uh, kids going to school would like sit beside me uh, or if it's like a group, of, like a class and they'd be like, oh, my God, he has a switch. <laughs> it's like, what are you playing? And then they start like saying all these these titles. And I'm like, oh, my God, like. Like the Switch, uh, still has a market. Like there's still a market for buying a handheld console like this, and that's something that I bet you, you know, any like any pundit would tell Nintendo, 
oh, you can't invest in mobile technology like that. Uh, everyone has a cell phone. They're just going to play games on their cell phone. And I'm, you know, I, I think a lot of companies would say like, yeah, you're right. But Nintendo being Nintendo is like, oh, we'll try it. Why not? Dude, what if Nintendo came out with a phone? Sorry? What if the Nintendo phone came out? Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there was the Nokia Engage, which was a very cool attempt at I played something. one. I put a little bit. I at the store. It was it was cool. I think I played Doom on it. Sweet. Like the original Doom, yeah. Nice. Nice. I mean, um, the lesson for those though is always it doesn't matter what your hardware capabilities are. No yeah. one cares. At the end of the day, people just want to play good games yep. and play them in an easy way. And that I mean, we saw that with the PS3 launch in 2006 when uh PS3 was selling, I don't know about in the US, but in Canada, it was $799, $800 at launch. Yeah. And and so you have the PS3, and then a month later, you have the Wii selling at $250. Uh, I can play, like, family games on it. I can, like, do whatever I want. It's cheap. I can pull. And the PS3's whole thing was like, Look, we have a Blu-ray player, and in 2006, no one cared what a Blu-ray player was or what it did. It was like, okay, sure, I don't know, but the Wii is games, and I'm buying this yeah. to play games. Yeah. And like for that's why they got 100 million in sales in the PS3, and Sony was in real financial trouble in the first couple of years of the PS3, and that's why they had to redesign it a couple times over to make their money back. Yeah, if Nintendo was like a North American only company, or if they were just trying to follow the trends they would definitely the switch would be a phone and we would be making phone calls on it but instead they said <laughs> what if we have this console that is a screen with controllers on the side that you can take off and you have two controllers to play against your friend you can hook it up to the tv take it on the go you can build some cardboard around it to make a damn piano um and it won't <laughs> you know and it won't be a phone but it will be this dedicated game gaming hardware which most people thought was dead like most people don't have a piece of hardware in their pocket that does one thing only which is plays games like they don't even have netflix on the switch yet we got we yeah. got youtube and that's about and hulu <laughs> and that's the only other two things you can do on there but play games but if this was like a microsoft or a so or a sony or an apple product it would be a phone you'd have netflix you'd have instagram you'd have facebook you'd have all those things on it you'd be making phone calls and you could go on discord and that, that would be it but instead they made this completely out of left field console that is doing very well for itself so I wonder what they're going to do. I, I definitely – so we've, we've talked how Nintendo likes to reinvent themselves every generation. I highly doubt they, they do something different than the Switch 2. I don't think they're going to like veer. But you could be wrong. You could be right and they could go 90-degree angle again. But the Switch is – and like maybe they're going to not do the console thing anymore. We're just going to stay in this middle ground where it's really a handheld. I mean the one thing I didn't like about the Switch initially was – I thought it was a console. I'm like, this is really just a handheld mm-hmm. that you can hook up to your TV easy. Right, right. And I, I kind of wish it was marketed that way, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Like, I, It's been so successful, I would be blown away. Again, they do this all the time. But if they did anything more than just like a Switch Pro or an HD Switch or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see them creating almost like a ds line you know as they did with the ds and kind of have that going for 10 years that that seems like what they're probably doing but at the same time nintendo's research and development you know is like 
they pumped so much money into there and i'm sure they made projects that you know well obviously we've never seen the light of day or we'll probably never hear about mm -hmm. them so who knows what they're working on um but i i i'd i would have to agree with you i'm sure they're gonna keep the switch for as long as they can yeah it's their new game boy and the game boy was around the game boy line started in 89 and it died when the ds came out in what was that 2004 2004 yeah. so that's what 15 15 years of game boy consoles so i think we're going to see something similar like with the, with the switch and they'll eventually come out with something new that is completely out of left field that we never saw coming because that's what they do they reinvent and they come that up is with what things they do. That... and that is exciting i admit that is exciting like they're yeah. like <laughs> yeah. someone's going to do something new and it's going to probably be nintendo mm -hmm. yep yeah meanwhile xbox, xbox is, is making, making great, great names, names. <laughs> <laughs> and then playstation come out with their ps5 ps6 and the controllers all look basically the same so I mean, like, yeah, I think I think that's where the industry is going. Um, is is that Nintendo kind of stays in their lane of weird consoles and innovation? Sony tries to, uh, you know, uh, become the gaming platform for gamers, and Xbox kind of gets merged with PC, basically, and PC gaming and cloud gaming. Those are like the the avenues that I I I'm almost certain the industry will be in uh, for the next five years. I definitely agree with that, a hundred percent. I mean. I would never buy an Xbox, but Games Pass is like, it makes perfect sense for me. I've been playing on PC. I have a PS4, but all I did on the PS4 is play God of War and Ghost of Tsushima, and that's about it. Yeah. Everything else is on PC. Um, but yeah, Games Pass is like, oh, I basically get the Xbox thing without having to buy an Xbox. Mm -hmm. I get most yeah. of the games. And it's like, it's this hybrid between my previous guest was talking about how much he loves Stadia and that Google Stadia gets a bad rap, mm -hmm. but he has really fast internet. And he's like, Stadia is awesome. It's seamless. I love it. I, and I, I agree with him that maybe in 20 years that really, that will be where the future is. You don't even have dedicated hardware. You just tap into the cloud. You have a subscription service. You have access to whatever, maybe Nintendo service and sony service if it's if they're still around in that way but xbox games pass is like this middle ground where you're still downloading and running the games off your hardware but mm -hmm. the it's it's a subscription service as opposed to like buying individual games mm -hmm. and it's like it, things come and go like netflix and it's uh like i think they have 12 million subscribers right now last time i checked on netflix 12 million for uh, oh, Games no. Pass. Game, Game Pass. Pass. Game, Game Stadia Pass. Is doing well. Stadia is doing well. <laughs> <laughs> no, Stadia is not doing that well, I don't think. But yeah, Games no. Pass is, I think, 12 million. Let's wow. say let's say 10 million at 15 bucks. That's 150 million a month. That's insane. To I mean, have that locked in before you've even sold a single yes. game. Printing money. Yeah, I think I think that yeah. cloud thing is going to go. And I, I think the, like, the whole cloud PC subscription services again and then sony's gonna try to hang out for one more generation at least with the first party titles and being dedicated and then but i don't see a future where subscription and cloud isn't the new norm i don't know do you like it, it's strange i was thinking strange. about that the other day about, the other day about just about how you tie it into like bubbles again like how game prices go through waves of going expensive and then going cheap again right now we're living in this bubble where everything's a subscription service and like, you know, you subscribe to Amazon Prime, you subscribe to Spotify, Netflix, Hulu, you know, the list goes on, Stadia, uh, Game Pass. Like, eventually people are going to get fatigued by it. I have to assume people are going to get fatigued. Like, at one point, everyone was signing on for cable packages and home phone lines and all these things. That was all included. Everything was all included. Mm -hmm. And then we cut our cable and we cut everything like that. But then we just start buying everything in bundles for subscription services. So I think eventually you're just going to get 
a basically a cable package that has everything included. Like you can get Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, all for thirty dollars a month, and it's just going to be like cable again. So, like yeah. I, I I'm reaching that limit now where I subscribe to several things. I also have like a gym membership and a cell phone bill. Like all of these automatic fees that I'm paying every single month that I'm I'm not thinking about, but eventually I have to start thinking about them because they're starting to add up to hundreds of dollars a month. That you can't keep asking people for nine ninety nine a month over and over and over again. It's just going to reach a bubble and it's going to burst again. So they're going to have to start selling games piecemeal, just like they did in the NES and all the way up until now era. I agree. I didn't think about that. It could get to a point where it's not just gaming subscription. It's the totality of everything being subscription. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, I mean, TV's the same way. I have Hulu, Netflix, HBO, and Disney. I don't even know what the combination of all those is right it's probably more than a cable package yeah if yeah plus my internet bill yeah it's i've done it yeah it is yeah yeah. like i i work for a grocery store retailer in canada and we do grocery deliveries and um they talked about doing a grocery delivery membership pass like a monthly fee that you would pay so you don't pay delivery fees you would just pay i think it was 60 bucks a month and so then you get as many deliveries as you want no delivery fee and I was sitting there thinking, like, man, if that were me, like, I can't afford another subscription service. But they launched it, and it did fairly well. But it's just every company is thinking about subscription services and how they can get automatic income from all of their customers every single month. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not just games. It's not just music or movies. It's, it's also your grocery deliveries. I'm sure your dry cleaner would probably love to get a $10 a month fee off <laughs> you automatically as well. Just everyone's thinking about how they can do this. And it's, it, can't, it can't last for everyone. Last for There's everyone. no way. Yeah, because eventually... That, the reason they want to do it is they make so much money and you, the consumer, that is, yeah, like I said, that what I'm paying now is more than what a traditional cable package would be. And if that continues to stretch, it gets to a point where it's like, I can't afford all these things. Mm-hmm. And then you're right. Someone will come along and say, like some giant conglomerate will be like, we'll offer you all of this shit for 40 bucks a month or yeah. something like that. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, so, that so is a, inevitable. A cable I think package, you're right. Basically. And then, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, where we were 30 years ago. 30 years yeah. ago. Yeah. We did it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I it's think fun. that probably will happen. It is so much fun, is though, so to just fun. think about these things and what it's going to look like and make mm-hmm. predictions. And that's that's part of the gaming industry that we both really, we I think everybody as gamers really mm-hmm. enjoys just the prediction aspect of what's going to happen and seeing where it all goes. Yeah. Well, Neil and I have to uh, hop off now and uh, record our Holy own. Holy shit. We've been recording podcast. for two hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> two hours is what I want to aim for. What are you guys recording today? What's your episode? We are recording Metroid Prime. Oh, that's like one of the big hitters. Yeah, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the big one. (laughs) It's a big one. Yeah, I uh, those games on emulator. By the way, we 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 talked about it on Instagram. Um, I went and played through them, like not on the GameCube, just on emulator. There's like some HD. So Dolphin allows you to uh, swap out textures, and users can create HD versions of textures. So because like models natively scale at 4K, textures don't. So people remake them and. Metroid Prime with the HD texture pack mm. is still the controls are weird a little bit because sure, you're, yeah. you're used to the dual stick. But once you get used to the controls, man, that game is awesome. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Like I, I still play my GameCube games on a CRT TV in my basement, just because that's <laughs> the way to play those games. If you hook it up to a, a modern TV, it doesn't look great. So, and on a on a tube TV is if, if you're used to those like I am, it, it looks great. Just on a regular old GameCube, it's incredible. But yeah, we're excited to record. So. record so. Tell people where they can find you, uh, socials, podcasts, your personal 
socials if you want to share that. People can send you dick pics. I'm sure it'll be awesome. <laughs> we haven't gotten any of those yet. That's exciting. Thanks for getting our hopes up. Uh, you don't know my fans. My Mike fans will bombard you with dick pics. Sweet. I'd yeah, like to get to know your fans a little better. <laughs> Mike, did you want me to do our, uh, our pitch that we do at the beginning of every episode? Sure. Okay, cool. So Mike and I, we are the GameCube Was Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and pretty much all the other podcast services. Uh, please send us reviews. We really like to read those on the podcast. We're looking forward to some more negative po- uh, reviews as well. Um, we like to read the positive <laughs> ones, but the negative ones, I'm sure, are a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at the GameCube Pod. You can also just search the GameCube Was Cool podcast. I'm sure you'll find us. Uh, we are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet right now, which is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> we're saying yeah. it because it's true, man. Uh, our, goal, it's be true. our goal is to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games one by one. Some episodes 12 by 12. Uh, we've covered a whole bunch of games already, like we've done Super Mario Sunshine, Pikmin, Animal Crossing, Resident Evil. And uh, this week, if you're listening to us on, uh, what is it going to be, November? Uh, dates are hard. Hang on. November 5th, we'll have our Metroid Prime episode coming out, so that's super exciting. So we have a ton of AAA games, AA games, and random-ass sports games or whatever we've covered. So go back into our library and check those out if you haven't already. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I am Neil Gilbert. I'm one host, and uh, I'm joined every week by my best friend uh, and co-host, Michael Lane. Me? At Mike Lane on Instagram. And Neil is Neil, I guess. Yes, if you want to follow me. I mean, it's more exciting to just follow our GameCube podcast, I think. I don't post that often on social media. (laughs) You can send the dick pics to the GameCube Instagram. Yeah, please send those to the GameCube one. one. (laughs) We'll both see them that way. You'll be saving time. Mm -hmm. I told all my fans to uh, send Patrick Hickey Jr. dick pics until he started his own podcast. Because I think his books would do awesome as a podcast. Yeah, Uh, yeah. So yeah, the, the, we'll, we'll continue with the dick, the call for dick pics with you guys as well. So when is Hopefully he starting his podcast? Some. Has he started? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I guess we haven't sent him enough because he still hasn't done uh, a podcast. We'll send, yet, we'll so. send him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll we'll put all. Going. I will also put all the applicable links in the podcast description. Thank you guys for coming on. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. We need more. You, you really are the only people who've talked about this. Is episode for me like thirty? I think it'll be thirty-five or thirty-six when it comes out. Cool. And cool. no one has talked about the GameCube. So you're the you're Great. christening the GameCube on my podcast. Great. We're Great. the right people to Fantastic. do it. Fantastic. Love it. Fantastic. Love it. All yeah, right. Thanks so then. much for having us on. We really appreciate yeah, it. Fun. Yeah. No worries. Anytime we'll come Anytime on. This is.